Let's get it on. Yeehaw! What's up, dude? What's going on, What's man? What's going on in your shirt? What is that? You got a lot going on there. Oh, yeah. It's like a penguin with shark teeth. This is my homage to Albert Hoffman in the creation of LSD. Oh, wow. In shirt form. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's Hoffman. It's Hoffman. Oh, Jesus Christ. And then you use all these crazy animal parts for squares. Mm-hmm. And a full garden blowing dude. out of his head. Did you know that a roadrunner can eat a fucking rattlesnake? I didn't, but that's gangster. There's a video of it. Somebody tweeted it to me the other day. I'm like, there's no way this is real, but it's 100% real. Roadrunner hunts and kills a fucking rattlesnake and then eats it. And it's eating this thing like it's way bigger than it. And it's just trying to swallow it. <laughs> like, you have no idea how gangster Maybe birds are. Maybe that roadrunner identifies as a pterodactyl. Maybe he does. Check this out. Watch this. First of all, when you really get a good clip, when you look at him from a distance, ah, you little bird, you're little, I'm not worried about you. But when you look at him like close up like this in this high resolution photography, you realize like how fucking predatory these birds are. Like, look, that, that the snake takes a lunge at him. He's like, nah, bitch, not today. Snap. Gets Damn. him right on top of the fucking head. And look how he does him in. He smashes his head against the rocks, man. Yeah, when people discovered that dinosaurs were probably birds, that's even more terrifying. It's actually. 100 I 100% believe it. Yeah. I've told you the story about my chickens, right? With the yeah. feeding the mice. Uh-huh. Dude, it's really the whole thing is really bizarre because it just shows you how like people have these attachments to a certain species for no reason. Like, uh, Steve Rinella talks about it with bears. He calls them charismatic megafauna. That there's something about... Steve's so eloquent. That, you know, when he's, uh, he's, there's, he's right, though. There's, like, something about bears that makes them very different in our eyes than any other animal. And birds, they have these hierarchies. Yeah. So this hawk flew into my fence. I have a glass fence. Hawk didn't know what the fuck was going on. Boom! KO'd. Jacked. My daughters rescue the bird. And then they go to the pet store and buy little pinkies, which are these little tiny mice. And they feed them to the hawk. Mm -hmm. So they feed this little tiny mouse. They decide that the mouse is not as important as the hawk. The hawk has to stay alive. Right. Fuck these little baby mice. So they feed the baby mice to the hawk. He eats all of them but one. My daughter wants to keep it. I say, you can't keep it. It's going to die. It needs, you know, it needs to have milk. I'll just feed it to the chickens. So there's a lot of hemming and hawing, a lot of crying. Everybody wants the mouse to stay alive after you just fed 30 of them to this <laughs> fucking dinosaur. This but it's a majestic hawk. It's a flying monster. And so I bring it into the chicken coop. And I mean, I put that thing on the ground for not even one half of one second, and they were tearing it apart and running around with it. It was They're monsters. Yeah. That rotor on a thing just confirms it. I have 100% new respect for birds now. Yeah. I, I think... It's, it is interesting how people, but it's, you think about bears, right? And people have loved bears since way, way back yeah. before like teddy bears and yeah. stuff, you know, before there was the internet and these different things. There's just certain animals that you have this kinship towards and certain like sacred animals when you're down in the jungle and different places that always seem to inspire something within mankind. Yeah, and I don't know why it is, but I, I think I just sort of accept it now. Like, I don't feel the same way about bears as I do about deer. Like, I think deer are wild and they're cool and I love that they exist, but I have a much more predatory feeling around them than I do around bears. Bears are like this weird thing. Mm -hmm. that you, oh, you can eat them too? You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, it doesn't have the same feeling. And as an animal, there's this insane reality of what they are this enormous like wild dog thing 
that can kill you. Mm-hmm. And some of them are just giants, yeah. just gigantic wild dog thing that can kill you. And we love them. I remember sitting in the, obviously we were out there with the bears, just sitting there in the woods and watching them screw around. It's, it's something different. For yeah. sure. As, at least, you know, especially, too, when they're kind of looking at you. Like, the connection of looking at the bear and the bear looking at you, it's I think, eerie. is different. Yeah, it's, it's different than eerie. when a deer looks at you. A deer looks at you like, what the fuck? What the fuck are you doing? You know, exactly. like that's its side. And the bear looks at you like, hey, man. <laughs> yeah, that's what, are you what doing it is. That's it's what just it a is. Different, it's like a different whole thought cycle. I sometimes think of thoughts like the small wheel and the big wheel. It's almost like bears are just on that slightly bigger wheel like mm. us, you know? That's what it is, right? That's got to be a big part of what it is. Like we almost inherently recognize that they have a level of understanding that's above the undulates. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's something about those omnivores. There's like a level, especially them. There's a level of understanding. But at the end of the day, like if you see how they behave, like that's the thing, especially about grizzly bears that I got out of that Grizzly Man movie, is they're they're so almost robotic. In their predatory drive and their their drive to survive, their survival drive, yeah. they're just just moving around looking for stuff to eat all the time. Yeah, they're so big. You have to you have to eat so much when you're that big. But the advantage is instead of hiding all of the food that you need for the winter like a squirrel, you eat eat and eat and eat, and nobody's going to take your food from you because it's your fat. It's that? on your body. Like the only way to get that fat is to fight the bear, and nobody wants to fight the bear. So they can survive the winter a whole different way. It's just a cool way to, to approach it. But a bizarre way. It's so fascinating when you see all the different methods that nature's figured out to sort of overcome the, the obstacles that the environment can throw at you. It's animals that can survive. I was in the ocean uh, recently. We're snorkeling, and I'm looking around at all these turtles and all these fish, and I'm like, they, they live here. They fucking live. I mean, I can only stick my head under there for a few seconds. I come up. I got to spray water out of the top of the nozzle. They fucking, there's a living thing surviving in there. Like life has found a bunch of weird, weird ways to get along. And a bear is one of the weirdest ones. Just get fat as fuck. They get big, round, and jelly. And then they just take a nap. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like fuck this winter. Fuck that. I'm not I'm stupid, bro. What am I, a moose? I'm gonna walk out there and freeze to death like an asshole. I'm no, just gonna, I'm just sleep. gonna sleep. Like there's the strategy involved in that is so much deeper than the strategy of all the other animals. Yeah. The other animals, like that's the big one of the big things with I guess uh, deer is they fucking freeze to death, man. That's how they wind up dying. Yeah. I wonder. You wonder as that like evolves that whole hibernation pattern if they're just like. Taking little naps first when that's developing, <laughs> and then every, then one bear like sleeps two weeks, and all the other bears are like, "What the fuck? That was awesome!" You know, <laughs> and they just sleep a little bit longer all the time. Yeah, how the fuck does that take place? This yeah. is one of those really dumb like p- people who don't believe in evolution ar- ar- arguments. Yeah. You telling me? <laughs> You're telling me that's not by design? Come on, dude. Uh. Because somebody was posted a video, some guy posted a video, like an animated GIF file of the flat. He was a flat Earth guy, and it yeah. was just the Earth, like f- a flat plane. There, it wasn't even high resolution. It was like low resolution. It was flat, and he was like, "Show me again the curvature." I'm like, "Oh my god, dude, this is <laughs> people are fucking crazy." Yeah. Well, I think that whole. People just want to get a leg up, mm-hmm. you know, and everything you're doing, you're just trying to edge someone out. So if you can 
believe in flat earth and it actually is flat earth, you got a little bit of leg up on everybody else <laughs> who thinks right. this shit's a globe, right? So yeah. they're willing to take that gambit. They're willing to place that place that bet like, fuck it, man, I'm going in on flat earth because if I'm right, right, then I can say fuck you to everybody else just a little bit. You know, and that's the ego. That is the ego. All I have to do is watch a couple YouTube videos. You'll be convinced. <laughs> if you don't do anything else other than that, like that's the thing. It's like Jordan Peterson talking about how we could all become a Nazi guard. Like, yeah. we could all believe in flat earth if we just stretched our mind a little bit and then a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, maybe all is the wrong word for <laughs> Nazi guard or flat earth, but I think they could get a lot of us. They could get a lot of us. Yeah. I've told you the story about those fucking rod things that I thought were real. I thought there was rods. You ever heard, heard of Roswell rods? Those little, mm. they're supposed to be insects that are flying through the sky so fast you can't even see them. And the only way to pick them up with is video cameras, the only way to actually right. see them. So they would find them on these videos. Like, oh my God, we didn't even notice this at the time. And uh, they decided that there was these gigantic things that could be, you know, who knows how many feet long. And they're like jellyfish. And they fly through the air at like fucking light speed. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so, it's so stupid. It turns out what it was is just an artifact when you film things, yeah. when you film things with shitty old cameras, and when they have new cameras, see, that's the rod. See that thing that looks like a twig? Uh -huh. That's what they look like. And some of them you see, like, way up in the sky. Some of them, It's just a bug that's flying so fast that the camera can't pick it up right. Yeah. So the camera makes it look like that, like that last one, Jamie. Yeah, look at that. See how it looks like it's almost like a jellyfish weaving through the air? Yeah. It's just a video artifact. Or like a bat with a vapor trail. <laughs> that's really yeah. what it looks like to me. Yeah, it does. That's in that one. Yeah, because that one's in front of the tree. But sometimes you see them in the sky, so you don't have a, a site of reference. Yeah. You know, you don't have like that one's interesting because it's in front of the tree. Like the tree is just only you know a few yards away. You can tell. And if that rod thing's right in front of the tree, you can get a, a guesstimate on how big it is. But a lot of the videos of them, they had them in the sky. You know, just flying in the sky. From, they're like, it's 16 feet long. It's I, flying the speed of light. <laughs> I was in Sedona just having lunch. And I was in Sedona is a place where there's some cool shit. And then there's a lot of wacky new age shit there. And I was listening to this guy just talk about orbs, right? Like these orbs mm. that he was able to capture. I've on, seen those. <laughs> on film. And and I've had orbs in photos and stuff. All it is, it's like the it's the lens flare effect that creates mm -hmm. like I'm not like super into the science of it, but I know that I can reproduce it if I create a lens flare in the thing. There's going to be an orb somewhere in the picture, right? Right. So, but the way they were describing it is like this one. If you go out at at the right time at dawn in this special place, there will be orbs on the ground. It's like where they gather. I'm like, no, bitch, it's the sun coming up. <laughs> and every time it creates a lens flare in your camera. You know, it's. I would love just... it if it was that, though. Why is such a party pooper? <laughs> wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be amazing if, like, you could find balls of light through you around you, like little, like, organisms or life forms? And, like, if you were more loving, they surrounded you and you just had to take a picture yeah. of people and tell whether or not, oh, my God, this, this dude's awesome. Like Look. the seeds from AWA. Just kind of like yes. floating around. All of a sudden, you're really in the zone. They're all just floating all around you. Yeah. Be amazing. I would, I would deal with that if the only way to see it was a camera. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'll tell you, man, Eddie Bravo had one picture once. <laughs> it was Eddie Bravo with a bunch of orbs around him, and he had his hands open like this, and the biggest orb was in his hands. And I said, damn. And imagine if we're all just, imagine if we're all just super skeptical and we're ignoring something. <laughs> <laughs> what if they're fucking real? Oh, it's just a camera artifact. It's reproducible. You can go back. Okay. Are you sure? Well, that's, I mean, it's kind of like 
once you've done enough ayahuasca and done enough DMT, though, then you open yourself up to the possibility that there are things potentially outside of our ability to perceive them. That's Eddie right there. <laughs> like, look, it's like he's holding it. It's like he got high enough to see it before Meanwhile, it happened. His girlfriend spitting on the camera. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get some orbs going like could you recreate orbs with spit <laughs> but look if you were going to believe in orbs that would be i mean shit that would that'd be the one that i'd go with <laughs> For sure. he's got it in his hand you can see it it's clearly balancing yeah. in his center his love it would be the shit if it was real it's like all these things would be the shit if they were real like there's some ufo videos over turkey and i saw it i didn't even click I didn't even click on it. That's how blase I've gotten about the UFO <laughs> ordeal. I don't, I don't believe you anymore. I'm not clicking on it. Yeah. But I would love it if it was real. Well, that's the weird thing about real, right? You know, it's like when you go see something with such a vivid imagination, like especially in like the psychedelic space, you see something and then there's that debate like is that real right what? and then if enough people like if enough people have seen it or enough people believe in it like dragons for example like are they real or not well they're clearly not in the 3d space but everybody knows and has emotional reactions to this one being and they come to you in vision and so what is that is the dragon real well what's your definition of real you know like is it the collection of an idea in your brain, all of the lights gathering around that you can share and reproduce, and then that thing comes through like an archetype into your brain. Like it's, is it's that really what you think dragons are? You think they're archetypes? I, I mean, so. there's so many of them, right? There's mm -hmm. the Chinese dragon, the Japanese dragon, the the Gothic dragon. You know those the medieval look dragon. How many different ones are there? Tons of dragons. If you had in, guess. Infinite dragons, slightly slight variations mm. on the dragons. That's. That's the thing. It's like it's it is an archetypal being. I've seen them. They've come to me many, many times always. And it seems to be they're the being of ultimate power, like a being of supreme power. And that's the archetype that it recommends. There's no animal in the animal hierarchy that trumps the dragon. Right. He but, shows up. Everybody shuts the fuck up. <laughs> exactly. He comes flying in with fire exactly. coming out of his face. Everybody just settles down. Yeah. A There's, giant flying lizard that can blow fire. Yeah. So it represents that kind of power. My tattoo artist actually had a cool thing. He's like, I never tattoo a dragon snarling because no dragon would ever need to snarl. Like, there's That's nothing he would, point. there's nothing a dragon would ever roar at. I gotta check my dragon. It's kind of <laughs> snarling. You know, because it is that being of fucking supreme <laughs> power. It's a strange thing that there's so many different cultures that have sort of captured that. And you gotta wonder how many different things are we missing from the fossil record? You know, and we know if birds exist, who knows how many things existed that we just haven't found yet. It's entirely possible that some weird fucking lizard existed at some part of the world and people could see it. You know, some weird snake thing that walked and then the legend spread of that. And sure. then people saw a bunch of different giant lizards. Like if you saw a Komodo dragon... If you were just wandering through the jungle and you saw a full-size Komodo dragon and it had its mouth open, you would for sure think you were in the presence of a demon. <laughs> if you ran away from that, right, no cameras, right, no cameras, you got to take things from your imagination and draw them for people. What are you going to draw? You're going to draw a goddamn demon. Yeah. A, a hissing giant lizard with saliva coated in botulism. Those are horrible monsters, man. Those are fucking ruthless, ruthless, predatory it's lizards, giant lizards, and you would draw them. They would be, they would be, they'd have wings, 
I mean, if you were just a primitive person, you ran into one of those things. If you ran into a Nile crocodile, Jesus Christ. I put a video up of one jack and a vulture. Did you see that shit? This vulture fucked up and got too close to this lake. They, ja they jack everything except dude, for the hippo. Dude. Don't see the crocodiles jacking the hippo. No. Hippos they are stay the clean. Jackers. They stay clean. Look how he gets them. Look at this. He's just boom, bitch, just out of nowhere. Get the fuck out of here. Chicken. Boom. Give me that chicken. Just jumps right back in there with them. Oh, right under the water. What a what a creepy animal. Lives in this place where you can't see it at all. It's brown water. Fucking brown water. And they can hide in three feet of that shit for like hours. They don't have to come up. And they just hear the vibrations. They know where you are. And they just jump up and jack you. Oof. I think so much of the way that we developed was to try and avoid that situation. Fuck our, yeah. Our soft bodies. You know, all of this brain activity that we have. So much of it you have to credit towards avoiding that exact fucking monster. Yeah. Well, hence the, like, the stereotypes that the stronger the person, the dumber the person, you know? Like, if you, you have time to make all that muscle, bitch, you ain't got time to read any books. You're not, you're not learning. But that soft dude over there, he's going to save us. <laughs> <laughs> that dude's over there doing physics and yeah, shit, you're, trying you're, to figure out how to make swords. Your bench press will not help the, the asteroid collision. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a big one. That was the creepiest podcast we did last week. For sure. Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson freaked me the fuck out again. <clears throat> it's too easy to not think. It's too easy to just not think about the variables. It's too easy to not pay attention to the fact that we really are just a species that's clinging to a spaceship without a roof. That we're just clinging to this circular orb as it spins a thousand miles an hour and hurls through infinitor. We're just hanging out on it. And we don't... <laughs> We don't want to think about it. It's too crazy. Yeah. The, the depressing part of that whole cataclysmic particularly is we're, we got all these fucking nuclear reactors everywhere. So, like, one goes off, and then those things get all disrupted, and then the nuclear radiation is the big issue that you have to worry about, right? Do you see what they did to Chernobyl? Mm -mm. They created a dome that's two football fields long. It's gigantic, and they're going to encase the entire enclosure just plops the astrodome of lead on there yeah that's what it looks like yeah. it's huge it's crazy it's a crazy engineering undertaking if you you look at it you go what like you just have to imagine like what kind of resources and how many brains were involved look at this thing they're gonna lift this fucking thing over the dome this is enormous they have these designs for it they show the fully competed thing fully completed what does it say there are 30 countries are involved in this Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, the key is we got to elevate consciousness to a point where we're actually looking at these situations and being able, and I think that's the point that Graham and Randall make, and I couldn't agree more. Like, people have to be at a, at a level where we can actually do something about that instead that of image. fighting with each other. You're 100% right. Look at that image. That's, that's what it's going to look like. They're just going to drop that down over the site. Like, <sighs> Jesus Christ, that's big. That's <laughs> so big. That's it's so crazy how big it is. Look how thick it is. That's insane. I mean, what the, what the fuck does that weigh? And the weird part is, it just feels to me that it's not fully gonna work. <laughs> just like putting like putting like a Tupperware over a fart. You know, like are you gonna get the whole fart in the Tupperware? I doubt it. I think the fart's out there. Uh, Shane Smith went down there, and uh, he was in Chernobyl, and they were they were hunting these wolves. They're these radioactive wolves. <laughs> 
I'm like, what the That's fuck are you doing? That's a Ninja Turtles episode. For sure. <laughs> I know. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, all these animals that live around that area, they're all radioactive. <laughs> like, oh my God. It just hulks out and turns green. Well, they probably are experiencing some mutations. Yeah. There was some viral video that was going around the internet that was saying that these are fish that lived near Chernobyl. It showed these just enormous, crazy fish slothing around this little river. And they were that was the vibe, but apparently that's bullshit. <laughs> apparently they're just giant catfish or something like that that just do exist in some spot. Yeah. They're not radioactive. That is deep in our psyche, though. That idea that radioactive matter is going to turn something into some amorphous new thing. Yeah, and it's always it's always bad, except in comic books. If you're a dude, <laughs> if you're a dude, it always works out well. Right. You always become Spider-Man or the Hulk, or you know, you just got to pick the animal you go into that radioactive soup with. That's true That's too. The key. Yeah, yeah. You, you got to get a good deal. Like the I'm, stretchy guy. What's the guy? Yeah. The, and the Avengers? Not the Avengers. The Fantastic Four. The stretchy guy. That's a shit nope. fucking superpower. That nope. is shit. Oh, you get to bend and the, people get to stretch you out like taffy. Oh, fucking where do I sign up? <laughs> you got to go in with a roadrunner for sure. Well, he's got a guy next to him that turns into fire. Like what yeah. the fuck? I get, I just can, this guy can turn into fire and fly through the fucking air. All I can do is stretch? That is the most bullshit superpower of all time. <laughs> he can stretch. He makes his arms go into circles. He could turn him into a figure eight. Like, what? I don't know. I fought with Dawson in Street Fighter, and his stretchy ability was definitely helpful. Does he have stretchy ability in Street Fighter? Yeah. He, could, he can push both his arms out like that. And, and they go way you, in front smash of you. you in the leg, just straight double dick punch. Mm. And then he's got that the foot, like the like a long ass front kick. Take someone out of the sky. Proud to say I can't name any of the characters in Street <laughs> Fighter, nor can I tell you what they do. I All don't right. know anything about that. I played that a couple of times. I was like, this is bullshit. Oh man, that hit me right in the sweet spot. Where I couldn't <laughs> where I couldn't ignore it. I was just at that age. You know, where you have all the testosterone brewing, but the frustration because you're mm. little and you couldn't beat anybody up. Right. So you just play something in a video game. Then you can mm. beat everybody up if you're that avatar. I wonder how many fights have been started from Street Fighter. Like, if there was, like, a running tally. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, McDonald's has how many burgers sold? How many, like, fights started by a game of Street Fighter? Less than Madden. For sure less than Madden. Because <laughs> I see right? people playing that, and it often ends in fights. Yeah, that should be a whole Ma YouTube channel. <laughs> like Madden Street Fights. <laughs> they, should, they should come with some gloves. Just Dudes fucking out. love their football, man. They love. Yeah. I listen to Bill Burr's podcast, and sometimes he'll go like an hour just talking about football. And they, they fucking told us we couldn't do it. <laughs> he just gets so into it. Like, who are they? Who told you? Yeah, us is the, us is the yeah. funny thing, too, because mm -hmm. that's, again, like the identity playing this trick it's that that lust for tribalism that we all have like we want to be part of a tribe oh that team is our tribe yeah and then you'll fight for it and you'll feel shitty about it and you'll feel elated about it mm -hmm. I mean, it makes the games interesting but it also opens you up to a weird spectrum of emotion yeah you're you that kind of pride for your neighborhood for your town for your state all that gets weird yeah till till you get to america that's where we cross the fucking line boy america you better be proud. Better be proud from here. Donald Trump says he's going to put people in jail for a year if they burn the flag. Here's what's hilarious. Hillary Clinton proposed this in 2005. I didn't know that. Somebody tweeted that to me on Twitter. I think they're having an affair. They've probably been banging it out the whole time. <laughs> they're like, either way, we win. Yeah. 
that's what's been going on. Sure. All those little shitty little catty remarks. You know? Yep. That's what lovers say to each other. That's exactly right. When they're getting nasty with each other. Mm-hmm. And then they <laughs> the make up Give it later. to me, you fucking deplorable. Mm, deplorable. A basket. What, a bucket of deplorables? What was it? And people, people just jumped on it. They've been the worst at like creating like memes and stuff and like the worst at coming up they were the worst at like coming up with like campaign thoughts you know there was just too too many things going on with that election where it was just like wow you guys are not not that good at this <laughs> like this i'm with her no. don't say i'm with her don't say that's jesus christ like how obvious are we making it that we're just voting for a check like how obvious right. well it's more than that it's more than that man this everything is is getting squirrely and i think one of the most brilliant parts of jordan peterson's podcast yesterday was that he identified in his mind and i tend to agree with him that one of the reasons why things are getting so squirrely is we've removed the metaphysical underpinnings behind our understandings of everything yeah you know and so like all of this social justice and all these pronouns i think a lot of that is that we've removed the metaphysical understanding of self you know, and so if you really don't understand who yourself is, then you really can't have self-love, self-worth, self-confidence, because it's all built on something else. And that surrogate for self that they create is identity, mm-hmm. you know, who you are, what pronoun you are, what, you know, what tribe you identify with, what you do, what your race is. And then all of these parts of identity, which really have absolutely nothing to do with self in the metaphysical sense, become the thing that you defend. You defend that thing as if it is yourself, but it's not. And I think that's, you know, one of the the paths that I've taken is to understand those metaphysical underpinnings, like understand what the self is rather than just trying to work on self-worth and self-confidence and self-love. Well, you got to fucking first understand the self. He was a deep dude, man. The the stuff that he was saying about religion, about the need for this understanding of good and evil and then how, how it plays out. And to to stay on that balance of good and evil and to, to live, you know, what he was talking about, a true life. Really fascinating because it was one of those things where he's he's thinking at a, an extremely high level. And so when you're following him, you have to be sure you're – am I following him? Am right. I, am I, I'm really getting what he's saying here. You know, because he's talking about being a, someone who hates ideologies, but he's a very religious man. I think really the most confusing part of what he was saying was the use of the word religion. Mm-hmm. Because a little bit like Daniele in his book, Create Your Own Religion, he's clearly created his variation of religion that allows him to use that word. You know, But for most people, the colloquial understanding of religion <clears throat> is much, much different. And I think it was confusing. I think he would probably benefit from maybe you know looking at that word and seeing if it's conveying what he actually means but. I, I think you're right but i think i understood what he was saying and i think he definitely understood what he was saying the yeah. problem is you know he's he's looking at it in terms of that these archetypal stories are integral to being a human 100%. and that they've been a part of our life for so long that this recent jettison that our society has taken away from it you know we've sort of, sort of launched ourselves away and become more and more cynical about our roots and our understanding of who we are in this world and like what is important and what is bullshit, you know? And that's all great. I think that's super important and that's that's what human beings are here for. We're here to be curious. But one of the things that I think people really do really well with is structure. And when people don't have a structure, like a reason 
to behave in a, uh, an ethical and kind way yeah. or, uh, you know, a better to strive for. They yeah. struggle without a structure. He's in, and without truth as the bedrock. Like mm-hmm. truth forms the bedrock. And I think that's what he really meant about these religious truths as compared to scientific truths. These, these true understandings that form the bedrock that you can build everything else off of. Like, again, going back to self. Like, what is the self? Well, when you look deeper and deeper, it's, it's non- nothing but, you know, <clears throat> the embodied consciousness. You know, yeah. the consciousness within us. And then when you understand that you're consciousness, then you can ditch all of these other things that you're trying to pile on top of and make it so important, like all of these identity things. But you have to get to at least where my metaphysical understanding is that the self is consciousness embodied in this awesome meat vehicle we get to play around with and experience life and interact with each other and taste things and fight things and fuck things. Like, it's amazing. But ultimately, you know, we're just that, that spark of consciousness. Yeah, who the fuck knows? Yeah, but what what he was saying was cool, because what he, what he was saying it was when Peterson was talking about it, it was in this d- different level of understanding, I think. And he's so incredibly well read. No doubt, I really like what he was saying too about you know how, and one of the one of the metaphysical understandings that I have. I mean, I think you arrive at it from different ways. I think religion can obviously be a great vehicle to help you arrive at that. You can do it through philosophy. You can do it through experience. And I've kind of gone mostly through that experience route with the different plant medicines and things and you arrive at at these different truths and that idea that you reconcile the darkness within you that thing inside yourself that is inherently has all the capacity for evil that was brought to me in in like in a psychedelic experience where I was going in and I realized that I myself was all the darkness and all the light I was good and bad arrayed on a spectrum and was capable of doing every good thing and every bad thing. And it was the most horrifying experience I've ever had. Like recognizing that I was all of those things, but the only thing that made it, that decided who I was, was choice. And then that choice was enough. But you had to first reconcile the capability of being everything before you can layer on that element of, all right, I am everything, but I choose to be this. I choose truth, I choose love, I choose to have faith against the fear. And that's, you know, that's ultimately then who you are. But going down into those subterranean depths and realizing that we all have fucked up thoughts. You know, we're all a little bit off here or there. And I think it's super important to reconcile. Just like watching that fucking roadrunner jack that snake, we're animals. We're living organisms. And we're living organisms that are aware of this crazy sea of genes that we live in. This sea of fucking cells competing for survival. In these weird forms with these weird rules and we're in that but we're we're as far as we know we're the only ones that are aware that we're in it unless dolphins are aware they could be aware you've ever heard of something called a false killer whale Mm-mm. dude i was in hawaii this week we did a little fishing with the kids had a great time and we're on this boat and this guy steve who's on the boat with me uh who's one of the uh, guys working on the boat told me that they had a run-in with these false killer whales where they were pulling in these 50-pound tunas and this fucking gigantic 20-foot-long thing. That thing. You ever seen one of those? No. What the fuck, dude? How did I not know that that existed? This crazy-looking weird whale thing with giant-ass teeth, and they call them false killer whales. Um, I don't know. I guess it's like some sort of a dolphin subspecies or something. 
So this, uh, which a killer whale is too. They're all cousins, I guess. But this this thing snacked this fucking 50-pound tuna right off the hook, just ripped it off in front of him while he was pulling it in. And so they said, oh, Jesus Christ, these things are going to find it. Let's, let's get out of here. We'll go somewhere else. They went five miles away. These fucking things followed them five miles and jacked two more fish. Wild, wild, wild world out there. This weekend, I had a porpoise steal a tuna from me. We were t- catching these little amberjack tunas. They're not that big. Like a big one is like 20 pounds. It's like as big as they get. They're like mostly like 10 pounds, but they're really tasty. Anyway, we're catching these things, and I'm pulling them in, and he's going crazy. This thing's going crazy. And the, the skipper says there's probably a porpoise chasing it. I'm like, no fucking way. He's like, yeah, they do it all the time. They grow up going around this there's this one area where these uh these tunas live skipjacks that's what they're called not amberjacks skipjack tunas and this one area where they populate these fucking dolphins have grown up to know that they can hang around those boats and they wait until someone catches one and then when they're fighting it it can't move very quick so they swim up to it while it's on the line, and they just jack him. And he jacked it right yeah. in front of me. Right in front of me. I'm like, no fucking way. And I see this dark shadow underneath the water come near this flashing fish. I hear this yank, <laughs> this crazy tug, and Thanks. then the line goes limp. Thanks for and making like, it easy for me. Oh, this porpoise just jacked that tuna right in front of me. Seals do that with the Chinook salmon out in British Columbia, too. Oh, do they? Yeah, they pull your salmon off the line. They're smart. I mean, they figured out that if your line is taut, the fish ain't moving anywhere. It's mm-hmm. fighting. It's trying to go this way. The drag, yep. the reel, that's like easy one to get. Yeah, and you never hook those animals, too. They're, they're too smart for that. They're like, he said he's hooked them before. Oh, really? He said he hooked them before. I didn't know that. They, they accidentally had snagged one before. Oh, like body snag, like foul yeah. hooked it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got, it got sense. body snagged. But like a dolphin, the dolphin will eat your fish, too. But mm-hmm. you don't see people, they'll get caught in nets. They just can't see them. But you don't see them get caught in those hooks. Yeah, they never get, that was one of my bits. That you, if people lived in the water, you'd catch them all day. Like, there's a difference between dolphins and people. It's like they eat fish, but we don't catch them when you go yeah. fishing. Like, it's kind of crazy. But the um, the guy said that they had to pull one in. Some I, I forget what the circumstances were, but it got foul hooked, and they had to pull it in and uh, release the hook. Yeah. And take it and be really careful with it. Yeah. Bummer. Yeah. Uh, going back to what you were saying, though, about the self being this, like, collection of cells, I think that's really kind of interesting because— the self is so many different cells that are kind of sending competing signals to the brain, all of them trying to almost vie for their own survival. And, and then the brain puts out like a prime directive of what the things that are best for that. But now that we're understanding so much of our gut biome and how much that contributes to the self, it contributes, you know, neurotransmitter production, immune cell production. But every time we shit, we drop a bunch of that gut biome into the toilet i mean it's it's going to feed on the on the feces and then we drop it in there so it's like our self is changing you know every time we take a dump like that collection of things that we call self which are some pathogenic organisms some helpful organisms some skin cells all of it's contributing to self all of it's contributing messages to the brain and it's changing at all the time and i think that's why people when they go looking for the self it's so squirrely because what is the self? I mean, it changes every single day. You're a different self when you're angry or happy or mad or in love as when you're inspired or after a workout, you're a different self than when you start. We're just this amalgamation, but it's almost an ideology of self to call it one thing and to call it, oh, this is me. Yeah. You know? We're really, we're just this a lot more nebulous than that. 
And that's why people get confused and they want to cling to something concrete, an ideology. Ah, self, here I am, I am. Well, you got a, v- a vague idea of who you are. Yeah. Like you kind of know, you know a neighborhood. Ah, oh, I've been down this road. I know this road. But, you know, you could go down a bad road one day, you know? Go down to someone towed your car and they weren't supposed to road. And you're like, oh, I don't even know this dude. <laughs> totally. you know, there's there's weird parts of you that come out in weird altercations or weird moments of vulnerability. You go, wow, I didn't even know that person was in there. Yeah. Like just looking at even as much as I think about it, I'll still get stuck in weird self land. Like this past Saturday, I don't know what what it was all the Thanksgiving from like noon to 7 p.m. on Saturday. I was a cunt. I was the worst. I was the worst. I mean, I, like, I didn't even want to hang out with myself. Like, and then I just, at some point, at like around seven o'clock, I was like, "Oh my god! Like, what is going on?" Were you? Uh, did you eat too much shitty food? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't want to make excuses. I just, you know, it was the my male menstrual cycle moment. You were just, uh, it was in just, what way? Were you like uh, short with people? Were you just like everything, you just didn't want to be around people? Everything, yeah, everything was like such a big deal. <laughs> not a big deal you know like whatever whatever little thing came up was like a life ending life shattering thing and it was this weird it's this weird understanding and then it lifted like a fog like just like when the clouds move and the sun pierces through and i was like what the hell was that it's like so that self is a slightly different self than you know the, the self that came after it, the self that's here now the self on a cup of coffee versus that and so i think you know it's just we try to oversimplify that when really we're so much more than what we are. And there aren't boundaries. This idea that you can contain everything. This is me. This is not me. I think really doesn't make a lot of sense. But we there's got to the be some techniques to making yourself more positive all the time. Like, I think that's one of the things about the Wim Hof breathing that I, I really like is that when, when you're doing any kind of breathing exercise, I think any like even uh, the beginning of Bikram yoga, when you do that crazy breathing, when you breathe. And then and your neck goes back. I think what what that really makes you do is concentrate uh, on the moment, and it releases excess tension to the point where you have a better ability to be yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, totally. I think there's a lot of burdens that we don't recognize that cling to us, and we're carrying them around, and we don't realize it until we get them free. And then we go, oh, I just I needed to go run. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's sometimes 100%. you just go, oh, I just needed a lift. I need to do something. Now nothing's bothering me. Like the same world exists, but 45 minutes of rigorous exercise and you don't give a fuck about it anymore. Yeah. And this thing that was this overwhelming moment in your life, like it's all a, a matter of perspective. Mm-hmm. And the best perspective that I find is when I can tap into that consciousness element, what you can call it, your, people call it your higher self, whatever, there's a billion names for it, but it's the best version of yourself, you know, like who you are at your very, very best when you're filled with the most love and the most peace and the most like inner just contentment and satisfaction, like your best self. And then when you can find ways to access that, I think absolutely right. Yoga, breathing, flotation, you know, nature, flow state, Mm. all of these ways are ways to tap into that best self, which is usually, you know, anchored in the present moment. And is you at your very best. And from that vantage point, you see the obstacles laid out in front of you and maybe they don't go away, but maybe you can look at them, you know, as you should, like an advantage, an opportunity to grow stronger, you know? Yeah, just perspective. I think there persp- I think all those things, including marijuana and a lot of other psychedelic 
compounds, they're perspective enhancers. Yeah. And I think that's what they're here for. We just we equate them with the negative aspects that we know that some drugs have on people, so we know that you know sometimes they can be bad. But I feel that same way about religion, and I feel that same way about government. I feel that same way about a lot of things. Just because certain aspects of it are fucked, it doesn't mean it doesn't have some massive benefits for us. Like, even, look, you could call it, like, religion in a lot of ways is like Bill Cosby, okay? Because <laughs> Bill Cosby did some horrible shit, some horrible shit, most likely, right? But he made a lot of fucking people laugh. Yeah. Right? There's a lot of people. If you look yeah. at the number of victims versus the number of people that benefited from it, him, you'd go, wow, what a complex situation this is. You have this monster who also is doing amazing work. Yeah. Like he's making people so happy everywhere. And he's enforcing this like really positive way of behaving and thinking for people. Like you could never imagine yourself swearing around Bill Cosby. You know, he was this upstanding PhD guy. I think in a lot of the ways that's the same way about religion. Like if it wasn't for religion, and I'm not an advocate of religion currently, like to use it currently in the same form that everybody's using it. But I'm just saying if you looked at like humankind as a whole, if it wasn't for believing that we had these crazy rules, then we had to do good, otherwise the deity would come and strike us down. If, if it wasn't like the fear, literal, the literal fear of God that kept people from just raping and pillaging and doing whatever the fuck they wanted to, who knows how much longer it would have taken us to get to the place where you can fight over gender pronouns. Yeah. Right? It's, it's almost like a, a system that may at some point have been necessary. Yeah. You know, we don't know the people. We weren't around the people 3,000 years ago. We don't know what they would have done without the threat and that fear of God because there was no DNA evidence. There was no yeah. you know, inspectors and detectives. So maybe it was necessary. But clearly now the dogma that's surrounding it is an impediment to our happiness, an impediment to you know, the, the, the better truths that are going to hopefully make this world you know, a more positive place for everybody. Well, they I think you nailed it when you said like a program. Because I think that's really what it is. It's almost like a program that human beings sort of manifested to travel to the next stage of development. Mm -hmm. Like, look, we're just not going to get here tooth, fang, and claw. It ain't going to work, boys, okay? You know, we got agriculture, but we're still behaving like monsters. <laughs> you know, And they had to just figure out things to worship, things to love, things to cherish, things to believe in. And then they pass these things down as like this higher daddy this higher daddy yeah. thing. Because that's what it is, man. The problem is a couple of people got it, saw that, jacked it. Jacked it. And then manipulated it for their own power. And oh, then to Ronald talk to Reagan God. came yeah. along. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that whole move of, all right, you you can't talk to God. To talk to God, you got to come see me. And you got to build me a big house. And you got to pay me every year. And then I'll translate that message you know, to the divine on your behalf. Thank you very much. My favorite version of that is, you ever see the dude who took pictures of himself in heaven? No. <laughs> That's awesome. He fucking, he went to have a pastor. He came back. He had a suit on and a white background, a bit white background. And he said he was in heaven. He took photos and he put them up on Instagram. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's how you know it's good. And he was selling the photos. He was selling the photos of him in heaven. Yeah. I, Come on, son. Well, I think to, in order for that to work for people, you have to break the brain early. And I think you break the brain by saying something like, fear God. Look at this. <laughs> Amazing. <sighs> I thought it was all white, man. Why does it have like a rainbow hue to it? Is that the same photo? I think so. 
hmm, that's weird. I could have sworn. It might be another person. No, it's the same guy. It's definitely <laughs> the same guy. That's the same photo. But the image looked, yeah, see, in that image, he, it was it was white. In some images, it was white. I think somebody added something to that photo. I think they put, like, the the sun rays and shit. That's the one. The one. See the one above him with the suit? Not that one. Right there. It kept going. The second row. Second row. Yeah, there you go. Click on that one. That was the image. It was just him with a white background. <laughs> he said, yo, I'm in heaven, dog. <laughs> Jesus loves you, bro. Heaven. Jesus loves you. I'm telling you, man. And he was selling these photos. Slick uh, suit, though. I like his suit. Strong. What's that? Ruffle shirt. What does it say? What he saw will burn your heart. What? Yeah. I don't know if that's what he good saw or will bad. burn your heart. I don't want my heart burned. <laughs> I think It'll it's burn good. Burn your heart. It's good the way it is. <sighs> Imagine if there was a heaven and we were just talking shit. Imagine if like one day the space shuttle takes the wrong turn and it's on its way up into orbit and it just pops through this little hole and like oh shit we're in heaven damn we're in heaven it oh was my all god true. and they get out take their headgear off they can breathe there's angels hanging around up there it's like just I th you know i think it's just people have made that wrong turn like jordan peterson was saying of taking these things as literal when they should be metaphysical like we all have the ability to create heaven and hell in our own life which is a point he eloquently yeah. made and then you know when we are pure consciousness what i've experienced at least from from all these psychedelic experiences when you when the body disappears and becomes less prominent in your thinking and you are what's seemingly just pure consciousness you know there's also that opportunity there for heaven to embrace all of the love and then there's also the opportunity to look back on your life like what the fuck you know mm. i really i made these choices that hurt these people and that is this almost hell you know so so hell and heaven is again you know as above so below it's just a mental state you know and that could be the same very same mental state that we go across but instead we tried to make it concrete we tried to you know salvador bosch you know tried to create all of these horrible things of things biting you and burning you and eviscerating mm. your genitals and prying you apart when all of that is really a metaphor for what's happening in your mind you know not an actual place yeah, like the mind of Dick Cheney. Yeah. Like how does Dick Cheney go to sleep without pills? You know, what kind of what kind of dreams does that guy have? You right. know? Oof. And what happens when he's liberated from you know, from all of the rationalizations? You yeah. know, like when when all of those things disappear, like like you know, you get in the float tank and you see all these things that have allowed you to think a certain way and then you go floating and then all of those structures go apart and then you look at that thing you did and go Huh. Was that cool? Or was that douchey? Mm. You know, like because, but he's never had that moment. He's never right. stopped the hamster wheel long enough to get still to be able to look at his life from his higher self and be like, "Whoa, what am I doing? Look at all this momentum. Look at all the software viruses that my open open source consciousness has picked up along the way. These different fears, these different greeds, these lusts for power, these different things that have created this thing that's never stopped, and the momentum's never gotten quiet enough." For them to really analyze it dude they kept that guy alive with somebody else's heart yeah <laughs> they they cut him open and put another dude's heart inside of him that is fucking crazy to think that human beings can do that we could fix they could take out your lungs man they can replace your lungs with someone else's lungs i think that's all helpful to thinking about it because the more we lose that attachment to this body as being like 
anything but the machine, the machine that's going to allow us to experience consciousness in the physical form, I think when we really look at that, then that's going to be a helpful kind of metaphysical underpinning. So we're not so you know caught up in these in these elements that are causing us so much discomfort and suffering. Right. We're not trapped. Yeah. In this idea of what we are. Yeah. But like, isn't it inevitable? If they if they come up with bionic eyes, they let you stare at the sun. You can watch Netflix on them, and they're way better than regular eyes. And they give them to people who lose their eyes first. And then people start going, scoop these fucking shitty bitches out. Give me some of them good eyes. Yeah. And you get them good eyes. And you start, I mean, everybody has the good eyes. You just walk around, look at each other, you wink. You know, you know, I got the good eyes. You got the good, you can see each other. You could fucking read sports scores flying in the sky. Just a hardware upgrade. Yeah. An you upgrade. Know? You can have binocular vision. You can decide to zoom in on things far off into the distance. Yep. Why wouldn't you do that? What do you like seeing out of your shitty old <laughs> fucking bloodshot eyes? eyes? Yeah. Bitch ass eyes. Yeah. You upgrade the hardware and then we just got to make sure that we're upgrading the software and eliminating the viruses, running those system checks to get all of these bad programs out of our head, get the better metaphysical truth programs like like the platinum rule, like, you know, you everybody is you living a different life. Treat them as such, you know, like get some of these other software programs running discard the old ones then upgrade the hardware all you want and but both have to kind of come in conjunction otherwise we'll do what we did with technology elevating faster than consciousness technology elevates faster than consciousness and we just fuck each other up better yeah we definitely do that i think also technology is just it, it's just trying to get us more and more addicted to it yeah. i was thinking of this the other day and i was flying back from hawaii i was thinking of how many people i see stare at a phone at the airport, at the fucking mall, at a restaurant, myself, I'm staring at my own phone. <laughs> I mean, I'm not immune to it. We're all staring at fucking phones. And I'm like, if I was a pilgrim, if you took, took you went back in a time machine, you grabbed a pilgrim, and you dragged him to 2016, and you said, what are you seeing? They'd be like, my God, they're all, they're all prisoners to the looking glass. <laughs> They've been captured. Like, they were like, it's like they're under a spell. They're under a spell. They stare at a fucking glass screen first thing in the morning. They check their email. They go to work. They stare at a screen. They look at their navigation system while they're fucking driving to work. They get home. They watch TV before they go to bed. They check their email again. They're just staring at fucking screens. They're living their lives through screens. I would think the, the looking glass has captivated them. I would think they were under the spell of glass. Like there was something about something behind. They're not moving. They're just sitting there in front of this fucking thing. All day. They're almost, there's almost no movement. Almost all the time, you're in front of a screen, you're just sitting there. Yeah. If you saw that and you had no idea what the fuck a television was or a phone, you were just a person from another time period, and you said, what do you think's going on? Like, well, these fucking people are under a spell. They're clearly under a spell. Like, it's given them something, yeah, but that's what a spell is. I mean, when the fucking, when the, 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 the hypnotic dancer dances in front of you, and then all of a sudden you don't even know where you are anymore, it's because you're looking at something cool. You're at the strip club when yeah, that happens, exactly. by the way. There you you go. don't know where you are. Yeah, you <laughs> ate the edible that Joey Diaz gave you that was mislabeled <laughs> on purpose. You, this is what you're seeing. You're, you're seeing something um, amazing, and that amazing thing is making you want more of it, so you're, you're spending more money to get a better computer, to make better explosions on the bigger screen that has the better sound, 
and it keeps going deeper and deeper, and every fucking new phone has some new way to get you excited, and you keep, you're staring at the newest and best screen, and you're just locked into this, this sort of hypnotic trance of technology. Oh, it allow well, it allows you to Bluetooth with your navigation system, which syncs up to your car, and like you're still staring at a fucking screen and not doing anything. Yeah. Doesn't matter what's happening, the same effect is taking place. You're staring at a screen. I think what's what's interesting to me is I think we're in this intermediary inter intermediary stage where we're watching this rapid advancement and things are getting more and more interesting. But I think there's going to be a tipping point where technology is so ubiquitous that we'll actually it'll it'll kind of settle into our lives in a better way. And maybe some people will get completely lost, but I think a lot of us are already reaching that point where it's almost too much and it's forcing us to make our own boundaries, put our phone down, you know, this idea mm. of put your phone away on this retreat. There's no phones here. We're starting to develop the counter reaction to it, but it has to get to the point of ridiculous in order for us to do, you know, have this kind of counter reaction. I, and think, I think that's the way it's going. I think that's like using them Fred Flintstone's brakes on a Formula One car. <laughs> Good luck. We're going to put our phone away for a whole hour. Right. You know, it's, right. Like, it's just sitting there in your bag calling you <laughs> come touches us again <laughs> my precious yeah my precious the only the only hope that i have for that philosophy i was espousing is i like i learned i thought of something at burning man and at burning oh, man oh shit at burning man the, <laughs> there was it's so much shit. Like you have no idea. You can't even fathom how many lit up, amazingly beautiful, fire breathing art creations, dancing people, half naked people, fully naked people, orgy tents, this crazy amalgamation. I mean, I was in this like Thunderdome. They rebuilt the Thunderdome basically. And they had people on bungee cords and two topless chicks were smashing into each other on bungee cords, beating each other with foam sabers as like house music played behind and a fucking fire breathing dragon car like rode by breathing fire like that is ridiculous that sounds rid awesome it's ridiculous yeah but after you've been there for a while like you realize the times that you enjoy the most are getting high with your homies in the rv you know, mm. like that's the absolute best time you have at Burning Man. And those like just laughing and hanging, drinking a beer in the RV. Don't you think that's enhanced, though, by the chaotic environment and the yeah. fact that you have this crazy feeling like, wow, we're here. We're here. For sure. That's kind of what goes on at a place like that. Right. It's like, wow, we're here. Yeah. Yeah. All of it contributes. But yeah. but then just realizing like. We can do that RV moment anywhere. Like yeah. you don't need to be in Burning Man. You don't. That is the most special shit. Like the most special shit is the simple shit. So you can take all this technology, does all this awesome stuff, but it's never gonna beat like that hike or that time you're hanging and playing with your kids or that time you went fishing or that time. It's never gonna beat that. Right. You know. So and you start to realize that when it gets to the ridiculous, it's just when it's on this kind of intermediary level that it's hard for us to figure out. I think. Yeah. Well, I think. The only way to truly appreciate the natural world, excuse me, to truly appreciate the wonders of the natural world is to to be engaged in it separate of the electronic world. Like if you're on some crazy hike, but you're also staring at your phone the entire time you're walking, you're just not going to get the whole feel. Like if, you, no. you, if you're hiking in Yosemite and, you know, some of those incredible views and vistas and you're traveling around these 
amazing nature. Just like you're not going to really take that in if you're looking at your phone all the time. Or, or thinking about what picture you're going to take. Yeah, yeah. You got, you're you doing a bunch of that. selfies. Yeah. Because you're inherently there's nothing about the phone that is in the present moment unless yeah. something is immediately popping up right right like it's all about the past how i look you know if the future how what am i going to post what's going to come so it takes you out of the present moment i think present moment is the, really the only pleasurable state that we have on the planet is when you're present it's those fucking screens man <laughs> calling you <laughs> come look at me selfie time <laughs> it's selfie time and your ego is just preening yeah look at all the likes I have 5,000 likes for my ass <laughs> 5,000 likes yeah and you put filters on shit and you want to get that angle perfect gotta get those it's likes. so seductive though I mean mm. even before even before there was you know these phones and selfies there was paintings and then there mm -hmm. was just your appearance in general so people would get seduced by them you know their reflection in the mirror and looking pretty mm. you know and then all the way back maybe even before there was mirrors there was that time in the brook and that's where you get that uh, the myth of Narcissus who just couldn't stop looking at his reflection in the in the waters of the stream you know and that was like the original point of you start looking at yourself not as self, separating yourself from self, you'll never be in the present moment. You'll always be looking at yourself, judging yourself, and that's a game you can never fucking win. You're not going to win that one, bitch. No. <laughs> but, what, how much do you think it cost back in the day to get your portrait painted? Like, if you got your portrait painted back in the Renaissance, you were a bad motherfucker, totally. right? You had some cash, man. You, had a, you sat there and looked regal with your best clothes <laughs> while some dude just painted you for how long how long does that take well they would pose for marble busts back even before then like you go back to the oh roman and greek times that's you know? insane that like, is I insane know, i don't know how long that takes for you to get carved in marble yeah that's <laughs> you know, insane that's, and you but, can't move yeah but the ego is is so seductive you know you want that you want to portray that image and it, the problem is it's just always so vulnerable yeah. like it never feels confident no matter how wealthy you are how good looking you are it's always unshaky ground because it's all nonsense you know your consciousness and that's enough like you don't need to be all of these things but you do though if you're that guy <laughs> if you're that guy right. that sits there for the bust i mean that's one of the things i was thinking when i was in rome and i was going through the vatican uh, we were looking at all these different sculptures. I'm like, that, there's no way everyone was jacked. Like, right. everyone was jacked? Everyone. Everyone. Everyone had a six pack? Everyone. But, but I thought really? it was, it's so polite how they made everybody with a small dick. So nobody felt like. Do you know why they was, did that? So nobody felt like it was no, too small? No, 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 no. Interestingly enough, I, I asked, of course, and uh, the, the guy told me that in the Roman age, it was considered barbaric. If you had a big penis, like you, you weren't a person of culture or thought if you had a big penis. And whether he's correct or not, I'm not sure. Jamie, <laughs> look that up, please. But yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting yeah. that like these little dick dudes that say, listen, this big dick thing, it's a fad. <laughs> okay. Don't get attached to it. They're all brutes and assholes. And that's why we're in this mess in the first place. It's all those big dick assholes. <laughs> you want a solid, a solid Roman Catholic government? You need a little dick dude with a six pack, just jacked to the tits. Looks like GSP with a leaf over his dick. And the leaves were a lot of the leaves were put over the dicks later. And a lot of the leaves, uh, the, the like style of the leaf over the dick or that like happened. Post Constantine. Or yeah, something. it happened later after some religious period. They just decided to stop looking at dicks. They're just like, what? What? This has been in front of us the whole time. 
oh my goodness that's i mean it's it's really uh, like that classic example of let's make something that we're not yeah you know let's make that bad you know yeah. that thing is bad so that we don't have a big dick <laughs> but i mean i think there were also the honest inclination that guy's got a hog and a half though look at that one <laughs> is that the devil oh, he's demon. the devil yeah. yeah the demons always had giant dicks you don't want that girl that big dick demon that monster um, yeah, that guy's got a hog. <laughs> Put it away, Jamie. I'm tired of looking at it. It's um, it's 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 just weird to think that they were struggling between, like, I guess, a big dick represented virility, which represented conquest, which represented war, which represented strife. Like all those big dick dudes just coming over the mountains, fucking big shaggy beards, swinging swords and shit. Brennus the like, Gaul. Yeah, we gotta stop this. Cutting whole... himself and yelling in his yeah. bearskins on mushrooms as he's looking at a line of impenetrable shields. That guy. That guy. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want that guy in his giant dick. That guy probably had a hog <laughs> or sure, just hair braided around it <laughs> like Princess Leia's helmet on his balls. Yeah, I mean, if a girl tried to suck his dick, she's literally <laughs> sucking on one of those cat posts <laughs> it's just a hairy dick hairy like a like what you imagine a buffalo dick would be like all these just random hairs hanging yeah. off of, of the shaft of his dick just dreadlocked just barbarian dick yeah he probably comes up a, a bright white bright white like toothpaste just raw just catches the moonlight and glows yeah Boom, shoots out, looks like bones. Like liquid bones coming out of his dick. You could. <laughs> you can't have that guy around with his nope. big dick. You need little dudes with six packs that yep. look like they could go gay at any moment in time. Because <laughs> they did. Yeah, every one of them was just ready to suck a cock. And conveniently, the dicks were small, so nobody gagged. Maybe that's what was going on, too. There was a lot of dick sucking back then. The guys friendly, who made it. It was just a friendly little dick. Oh. You know, they didn't have those barbarian dicks to deal with. Wonder when they realize you shouldn't fuck dudes all the time. When when they realize when they realize it's just like because people who essentially weren't even gay were fucking dudes, right? Not there's anything wrong with being gay. Let's just get, get that out of the way. I'm not judging in any way homosexuality, but I'm saying that it's it's uh, less likely than being straight but back then that was not the case yeah. gay acts whether you're an actual gay person or not that's the question were they gay people they're more gay people were there more bisexual people or was everybody greedy <laughs> i think it's i think it's a combination i think we're naturally a lot more bisexual than we act on because we're everybody's also naturally quite a bit homophobic mm. and that's that's part of it but i also think they were fucking kids back then and it was oh, like they the fucked everything there was like the momentum of fucking kids like mm -hmm. if you're a kid and you get fucked by a dude like i think there's got to be a correlation there between you know having the desire to do the same thing it's just like yeah. if your dad beats you then you want to you know beat when you're a dad it's this the same kind of in ingrained thing and i think they just got this momentum of kid fucking and then that probably contributed along with just the open-mindedness and not being homophobic actually they they sometimes are homophobic against the people who had received the dick but the people who were supplying the dick it was like prison rules. it's kind of like prison <laughs> basically like the whole society was prison you know because if you're if you're the pitcher you're not really you know it's kind of normal everybody's a pitcher yeah you just try, the catcher, try to get rid of loads you know and, and that was like one thing that if you look at some of the graffiti when caesar was taking over power like some of the gra graffiti was calling him like the catcher 
Oh. Like, like Caesar, you catcher, oh you know, whatever, God, whatever word that was for that, you know, because that was still a slight. Like you were supposed to, at, at the most virile, if you're head of the Roman legions, you know, you want to be the pitcher. When I was in high school, my friend Jimmy Lawless, who I'm still friends with today, I love that dude. But uh, Jimmy Lawless, was, what a great name, by the way. It's right up there with Eddie Bravo. But he, uh, we, we knew this dude who was bisexual. And we were kind of weirded out because we were, you know, I think I was 17 and Jimmy was 18. We were like, what the fuck? Like, what do you think? What does that mean? Like, uh, is he gonna, you know? He goes, I don't know if I believe in bisexuals. I think they're just greedy. <laughs> <laughs> we started laughing. We just started laughing so hard because he was only like half serious. But, but, because I think they're just greedy. <laughs> I'll never forget it. So when any, it's like, it's so burned in my head as a 17 year old that laughed at everything. You know, I had a 17 year old ridiculously stupid yeah. sense of humor. <laughs> and to this day, if someone says bisexual, I just think of him going, they're just greedy. <laughs> well, it's it just, I mean, humans have put their dick in everything. Anything. Anything. Whatever. Jacuzzis, couches, cheap, cheap flashlights, people, mm -hmm. men, women, whatever. That's how we met. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Let's we should clarify. clarify. <laughs> Aubrey and I met when he worked for the Fleshlight, if you didn't know. Yeah. Aubrey worked for a company that had a, a fake vagina. You'd have sex with a gelatinous fake It was like man, some yeah. sort of a gelatin or something. Uh -huh. Food source gelatin. You can't divulge family secrets. <laughs> but uh, um, it's uh, that's how we met. P people love to just get rid of cum. It makes you feel better. Yeah. And I think we got to just remove all of the fucking stigma about it. Like, I know. It's just, it's the cum release mechanism for the pleasure monkey. And that was actually like, that, that word was something that came to me actually in my ayahuasca trip. But that's what we fucking are. We're pleasure monkeys. Mm -hmm. Like, we're here to soak in as much pleasure, laughter, feel all the things that you can fucking feel to your body hit all of the pleasure buttons like why would you have a pleasure button and not push it mm. doesn't make any sense like push all of your pleasure buttons let's feel what that feels like let's go through and, and finish this existence in the material form saying like man there was like you don't want to have that button you're like man i heard that button was awesome but i just never pushed it because i was afraid and you know, religion said this thing and this blah 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 like fucking push the pleasure buttons like let's push it yeah you know recognize that that's what we're here for and stop Stop stressing so much about it. Like the idea that you should be guilty for your pleasure, like you don't deserve it. Like you well, do. We Fuck still it. have the echoes of the Puritans that landed here and sort of tried to reestablish. I mean, what what what's really similar to a lot of other crazy religious ideologies' views on sex, like really rigid, restrictive sex practices. You know, and that stuff stuck. It's hard to shake that shit off. It's hard to be grown adults like you are with your friends. You know, like you are with your friends, you talk about sex. You know, it's just sex. It's it's what people do. It's, it feels, you don't say, oh, she wants sex, that dirty, dirty, demon-possessed woman. You go, yeah, look at her, she's hot. I bet she wants dick all day. Hot girls, like, that's probably, like, what's going on? You look at Jennifer Lopez's ass, like, that's the, that's the ass of a woman that probably enjoys a dick, right? <laughs> You'd hope so. You'd hope so. It seems has, like yeah. there's some system there, right? Yeah. Like it attracts them. She probably likes them. It's like a flower, and the the bees land on it. And the flower wants the bee. Yeah, exactly. It's a yeah. mutually the more, the more fragrant the flower, the more it's desiring. Mutually the bee. beneficial relationship, but somewhere along the line, people decide to restrict it, and they really clamp down on it. And I think it was during the hard times, and I think. There's just so much, there's so much to the restriction on sex that I think also has to do with our worrying about people not being able to handle hard times if they come again. 
Like, there's a lot of people, I think, in this world, whether they're preppers, whether they're people that are just concerned about the future of the world, they're really worried that people are losing. And ironically, it's funny because the people that would be more restrictive when it comes to sex are usually the right wingers. But the right wingers are least concerned about environmental damage. They're more concerned about fiscal profits, like currently. Mm -hmm. And then the left wing would be much more concerned with environmental, but much less restrictive when it comes to sexuality. Like the the idea that you could just run around having sex with whoever you want, and just experiencing pleasure and not committing to people and having a good time and smoking a little pot and drinking and dancing and just enjoying life, that's not good for commerce, right? That's not good for business. Right. That's not good. And so if you want people to embrace the same sort of level of materialism that you're going to need to make your bottom line go up every year, you got to stop these fucking hippies and they're goddamn fucking dance out in the desert sure so burning that bullshit out there <laughs> cutting got, back on our profits you got to look at that motivation you also got to look at the motivation of of just control yeah. you know like you take something that someone is going to think about all the fucking time all the time and then make them guilty for that and make it a sin and make you the one who can absolve them of that sin you got them fucking locked like every single human on planet Earth is going to sin and they're going to need you to rescue them from hellfire. Boom. It's like the ultimate fucking rear naked choke on the human psyche, right? Because no one's going to be able to stop themselves from having sexual urges and thoughts. And if your thoughts are a sin and you're the only one who can take it away from them, it's fucking the world's greatest con. The world's greatest con might be making prostitution illegal. <laughs> right. Like, how do they figure out a way? You can fuck anybody you want for free. Like, there's no, it's not like it's illegal to fuck. It's not like murder. You know, like, you just can't go around killing people. I don't care how much you pay. You can't go kill people. That's not what we do, okay? We're civilized. But you could just go get some coke, go to a bar, <laughs> start doing shots with people. Next thing you know, you're banging people. You barely even know them, right? If you're some fucking wild person, you could just, if you're a girl especially, goddamn, you could travel from place to place, to place and give it away. And, and just get dick every, anywhere you want, right? Well, that is okay. But if you go there and you actually exchange pieces of paper or coins, that's yeah. not good. Or Bitcoins. <laughs> what Bit the fuck? Like, how is that possible? Man, Bitcoin prostitute. That's high level. I'm, I'm, high more, level. I'm more interested, actually. High level. If I can pay for Very my, high level. If I can pay for my sex act with a Bitcoin. Really smart girl, too. They show <laughs> up. They, they just see things differently. I yeah, just think it's, it's, it's insane that you could pay people for massages. You could pay people to d do your nails. You could yeah. get pedicures and manicures. And you could d have people do all sorts of stuff to you, wax you, and just don't massage your dick. It's, it's crazy. And, I, you know, honestly, I, I think it's, it's this special distinction that, that religion has given. And, yeah, there's some consequences to sex. There's potential pregnancy. But we've mostly eradicated that if you're really trying. At least right. if you're trying, you can eradicate that, that issue. And there's some, there's some diseases. So there's some consequences. I get it. I get it's a little different than a massage where you're less likely to get you know, anything of Wear consequence. a condom, you filthy animal. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. There's almost zero disease but, problems. But the amount, of, the amount of difference that people give that to, like, like right. you imagine your girl getting massaged from a dude, and you're like, yeah, okay. But then he massages her vagina. Oh, oh man, the, stomach's, oh, the stomach feels God. funny, and you want to puke, and you want to fight him, and you want to stab him in the throat for to touching your girl's vagina. pleasure. <laughs> And you exactly. just think how wet she probably was. She couldn't believe how <laughs> naughty this was. She's probably leaking down the side of her legs. Like, oh my gosh, she probably came immediately. <laughs> 
As soon as he his thumb just gently rubbed up against her asshole, she just <laughs> her toes spread out, her feet cramped up. <laughs> Jesus! And everybody felt so naughty, yep. naughty, 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 <laughs> terrible person, terrible rule breaker, <laughs> yeah. violator of the trust. It's so crazy, man. We just it's gotta weird. all we just gotta all look at each other and be like. We're all just fucking pleasure monkeys. It's cool where you get your pleasure. I'm not your pleasure dealer. You know, let's love each other and just be cool. Yeah, it's going to take a little while. <laughs> yeah, They came sure. close to that in the 60s for a while. You yeah. know, I mean, you think about the difference between the 50s and the 60s. Think about, like, the people in the 50s were all, like, locked down watching Hawaii Five-0 and shit. Well, actually, that was probably the 60s. Dragnet, that's what I was trying to think of. Did you ever see the Dragnet thing where the Dragnet guy, Joe Friday, was talking to some fucking hippie, some goddamn hippie? And he's explaining to the hippie uh, how easy they have it and how, how lucky they should feel living in America today with all the people that have sacrificed so much to allow them to dress like silly people. And it's so hilarious because it sounds like a person to This is it. Like, listen to this. Everybody else is fat and selfish and you're the first generation to come along that's felt dissatisfied. They all have, you know, about different things. And most of them didn't have the same opportunity and freedoms that you do. Let's talk <laughs> poverty. Most places in the world, that's not a problem. It's a way of life. And rights, they're liable to give you a blank stare because they may not know what you're talking about. The fact is, more people are living better right here than anywhere else ever before in history. So don't expect us to roll over and play dead when you say you're dissatisfied. It's not perfect, but it's a great deal better than when we grew up. A hundred men standing the in the street are dressed for one job, impeccably. selling apples. First of all, Joe Friday's in a perfect, uh, we I'm fucking strictly business suit. And the dudes who he's talking down to look like they're the dudes in the back of the Jimi Hendrix band that nobody can tell you their name. <laughs> I mean, there's like Jimi Hendrix and the dudes he was with. And I'm sure if you're fucking heavy duty music head, you're mad at me right now. I understand, but know this. I'm a giant Jimi Hendrix fan, obviously. <laughs> giant. I don't know who the fuck he toured with. I don't know who those dudes were. I have no idea. People, when they see other people having fun and they don't feel like they can get there, they want to shit on it. Yeah, that's You know, for sure. like, that's like, oh, these guys, look at it, having all this sex, getting high, they look happy as shit. Like, yeah. that's going to cause, it's that resistance towards towards joining it that if they actually just relaxed and and did it they'd probably feel good but they can't somehow they feel like they can or they shouldn't and they won't so the reaction is to remove that thing to squash that thing to make it more like them so that it feels so they don't have that you know those eyes that are looking over there saying oh maybe that life's better what's wrong with me how come i can't do that you know so people shit on it i think the lines are being blurred though between like uh really like hardcore no nonsense people like a joe friday type character and the hippies those lines are getting like there's a lot of people totally. that like go in weird slots like how that guy get in that oh he's in a weird spot like he's kind of both of those things there's a lot of those people now that you can't really lock them down you can't say this is a right-wing person or a left-wing person this is a no-nonsense discipline get to work person and this is a pothead and this is a guy who likes to do mushrooms and this is a guy who gets up in the morning and runs they might be the same dude now yeah. like there's a lot of like crossover between People who are like very disciplined, hard workers, but also experience pleasure and also understand that this is, we are a temporary life form hurling through infinity. Wake the fuck up and just have fun and enjoy this. Because totally. this is madness. And it could very well be over at the blink of an eye. A fucking giant rock the size of Pittsburgh can come flying out of the north and no one catches it until it's too late and it slams into the fucking polar ice cap and we're diggity diggity done. We're done.
That's yeah. it. It's a wrap. There's like 50 of us left. We eat each other. You know, we turn into mice. The only thing, <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that we're that's keeping us from you know engaging in all of these other forms that we want to is this clinging to identity and these pro, and these fear programs. We like we ditch all that, then then you just get wide open for everything else. And it's not a new idea, like the idea of the warrior poet, the idea back then of someone who could go to battle and like Musashi who could be the best swordsman and also be the best calligrapher and also a writer and also meditate and also you know have affairs and also do whatever like passionate love affair all of the things like at a certain point people realize like oh yeah all the things is best and then at a certain point now in our culture or at least getting to here it was like you have to identify with this one thing and that's your thing and then you defend that thing and and no man fucking enjoy all of it well what i realized from musashi when i was um I, i think i was in my teens, when I read the Book of Five Rings the first time, what I realized is he was explaining this concept that was totally alien to me at the time as like an insecure teenager. He was explaining this concept of to be balanced at anything, to be like at your best at anything. You have to have no loose ends. You have to be loving. You have to be kind. You have to be an artist. You have to be creative. But you also have to be ruthless with your sword technique, and you have to be ruthless with your psychology and how you engage with your enemy. And you, I mean, he was a fascinating, fascinating guy. He got bored fighting people with swords, so he, st- he started using oars from boats. He started yeah. fucking people up with oars. He's like, I'm just tired of fucking these bitches up with swords. He killed 62 people in one-on-one combat with weapons. Whoa. And along the way... He developed this really intense, very rigid sort of guideline for maintaining the ultimate warrior spirit. Mm-hmm. And that was a balanced perspective. It was really weird because I remember reading about that at the time. And I thought you just had to be a killer, man. I thought you had to be, you know, you had to be like Roberto Duran when he was young. You had to be just a savage. Like that was the only way to be a good fighter. You had to be a savage. You had to be just someone who just came in just guns blazing, didn't give a fuck, like Mike Tyson in the early days. That was the only way to be successful. That's what I thought. And what he was saying is, no, you have to be a master of yourself. Yeah. A master of all aspects of yourself. And there's no, there's no more terrifying form of combat than one-on-one with a fucking sword. I mean, he, and he was the master. He yeah. was the guy that figured it out in a very strange time in Japanese history where he was a ronin just traveling around fucking killing people. Yeah, I think, you know, <laughs> I think some of these times, when you look back, some of the philosophies that developed are, are even more advanced than ours because when you have a strong external pressure, like mm. the like the likelihood of a sword battle to the death, yeah. that forms this point of resistance where you got to cut out a lot of the bullshit. All the bullshit. You know, like you really have to look at the world in a different way. And, yeah. and even when there was the threat of of fighting somebody at any point, you know, that changes how you are as a man. Like that cha- that's an external point of resistance that causes you to understand certain things about, about the nature of life and the nature of your manhood. Whereas now we have so little external pressure. Like mm-hmm. most of us can go through life and never get in a fight. You know, that's not something that's in a lot of people's lives, still in some people's lives for sure. But like you're removed from these different things and, and sports offer that in kind of a very controlled way. But you take away all of these external pressures and then you get 
it gets really squirrely because you have nothing to define yourself against. You don't have any resistance. You're like lifting weights on the moon. And no matter what you try to do, you can't get a fucking squat right because there's no gravity. You know what I mean? Like, and so you have to, you have to go out and I think actively put yourself in situations that are going to challenge you, going to test you. And it doesn't all have to be physical. That's just one way in. Find yourself in challenging mental situations. Find yourself in challenging emotional situations. Emotion, you know, challenging physical situations. That's what, that's what some people in crazy relationships do. They start fights. <laughs> right? they, they put, they build up challenging emotional situations so they can escape them. They make their own obstacle course, get through life. No, you're totally right, man. I think we're we're just experiencing an, an, like the safest time ever, you know, and we're sort of trying to find demons that don't exist instead of concentrating on the ones that do. Yeah. And that's to me, I think, you know, I mentioned a couple of times that do, you know, if you're interested and want to tell that story, but about the time I did ayahuasca, because these plant medicines are that form of resistance. It is a bit of a trial by fire. You know, it's going to, you're going to confront yourself with, you know, some of the darkest, deepest fears and concerns that you have. And, and that's, and that's the process by which it makes you better. It's not, you know, a magic potion. It's just like, here's resistance how are you going to respond? And when you respond through that and you get, you just get better from it. You know, you feel better. I wonder with, with California, with this uh, latest recreational marijuana law passed, I wonder how long it'll be before someone tries to do some sort of a psychedelic clinic, whether it's for uh, addiction to opiates, like an Iboga, Ibogaine uh, clinic, or um, this kratom stuff you know this, sh- yeah. this shit have you, have you what do you think about this because I, I did think, one with i did a podcast with chris bell the other day yeah he was trying to explain it to me uh, to me kratom in mild doses is it is, kratom or is it kratom i don't know kratom okay. kratom i'm not i'm not really sure i don't even but, um it, in mild doses it seems to be like uh, like a bit of an energy yeah energy buzz and then in in heavier doses it seems to be more like a painkiller like it's almost like a slightly euphoric but numbed sensation it's a really interesting plant you know clearly i don't think there's any reason for it to be illegal i haven't found personally a ton of value from it i find value in some other things but the only thing i found disturbing is that i was getting a bunch of text messages from people or tweets rather from people that were telling me that they had some addictive experiences with it that it was very addicted to them Mm -hmm. addictive to them so i don't know if that's true or not um i also don't know where you're getting it and what's in it yeah you know i i don't I don't exactly know how pure this stuff is. I mean, this stuff is this. This is like a retail version of it. The guy who sells it came with Chris. I trust that. But if you're buying it from a dealer, which is like essentially what a lot of people had to do for a long time, like what I'm not exactly sure what you're getting. Sure. You know. Yeah, it's coming from Indonesia or wherever it's from. I would like to see some real tests done yeah. would, because uh, to me, I tried it. I was like, this is like a mild stimulant. Okay, it kind of feels okay. Like it doesn't feel bad. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Once you open the doors to that scientific right method now. with these plants, you, you find amazing results. And I think that's what we're seeing in this, in this revolution of understanding of psychedelics. Like I just read and, and tweeted about a study on uh, both psilocybin and MDMA for like social angst and social anxiety, mm. you know, which are one of the things like you think of the classic school shooter syndrome. You know, it's this feeling of being excluded from your tribe, excluded from the social situation and the angst and anxiety and all of the medications that are prescribed for these different feelings of feeling like you're not part of the group. Well, they wanted to test that with both MDMA and with psilocybin. 
And they found that it was effective with both, but differently. So they created this game called Cyberball, right? Where they had what seemed like just random other test subjects all in a circle with a ball. And, but really it was researchers and then one test subject. And so to create social anxiety, they would play this game of catch and just not pass the ball hardly ever to the test subject. So we'd feel eventually like, man, what the fuck? Why aren't these people passing me the ball? Like, what's wrong with me? Mm. And so they tapped into some, and they, they would test that at baseline as placebo, right? The, the angst and the kind of concern of like, man, what's wrong with me? Why do these people not want to give you the ball? And then they tested a baseline for placebo, gave them the, whatever placebo they were using. And then they tested it with psilocybin. And what they found with psilocybin was that it dramatically reduced their amount of anxiety, their angst, their stress about not giving the ball. They were, they were just looking at them like, Man, look at these people. They just don't want to pass me the ball. Huh? <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> you know? And so and so but they could accurately tell. Now, MDMA also reduced the social anxiety, but in a different way. The people who are MDMA thought they were getting the ball all the time. <laughs> they thought, they thought, like they had no idea that they weren't getting the ball. They're like, oh man, I got passed you all the time. It was amazing. Oh, they that's funny. Me. They just will love and other people catching the ball. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so. I'm so happy for you, man. <laughs> you caught it. Oh, you threw it. He got it. Hey, I'm happy for yeah. you too, dude. <laughs> yeah, really, that really I think interesting. MDMA could be extremely beneficial to anybody. Yeah. Uh, at least one trip. Yeah. I, I just found the only trip that I did, I was I was like, this is really, you can learn something from this. Well, it's also, you know, like uh, mescaline, which comes in both Wachumer, the San Pedro cactus, and peyote, is also a serotonergic kind of psychedelic. So if you haven't so had a lot- So similar to MDMA in sim- that way? Very similar. Yeah, I mean, MDMA is, you know, a, like a more pharmaceutical approach to elevating serotonin and that feeling that is associated with cel- serotonin in your body. Whereas, you know, the mescaline-derived psychedelics do that in a similar way, but with a little bit more of a visionary component. So, um, but both have, you know, one, one is just a more direct application, and I think that's great for a situation like MAPS is testing with PTSD and certain other kind of situations because it's very reproducible. It's very, like, clinical reaction of what's going to happen in the brain, whereas something with, like, Wachuma gives you this overwhelming experience, but it's woven in with all kinds of other different things. You know? I think the problem really wholly resides in the fact that these drugs are illegal. Because if, if they weren't illegal, we would look at them as like, wow, this might be solutions for people suffering from PTSD, from this, from that. Social anxiety. So, social anxiety. Yeah. And also kind of gives your your brain a chance to almost detach like a lens that detaches from the camera get a look at the inner workings of the thing and then before you put it back on you kind of get a better understanding of it it's yeah. like a, there's a detachment that mdma has like from some of the nonsense you've carried around with you like clothes that you know you've just worn it your whole life you don't realize it's bullshit until you take something that makes you go like this is all so ridiculous like yeah. Well, what, what I think, you know, talking to the psychologists and the psychiatrists of why it's so beneficial is we all carry a lot of trauma. We all carry these things from our past that are these stories. And I think that was a, another thing. I keep talking about the Jordan Peterson podcast, but he talked about that self-authoring program, mm. which is rewriting these stories. Well, he was talking about actually writing it. But what MDMA is doing for people with PTSD and with anybody is it's going back and looking at all of these traumatic things in our history, in our past, and which is 
also one of the things that in the studies that they're showing, they have a psychologist, psychiatrist, who's guiding people back to these potential traumatic events. But when you're flooded with serotonin, you see things in a totally different perspective. You see things from the vantage point of love, and it's all good. So no matter what you know situation came about, you'll see that kind of higher perspective rather than that fear response, that kind of cringing that creates more fear and more trauma. You look at it and you're able to relax, see it and say, man, that was pretty horrible. But you know what? It's okay. Like, I'm still okay. I still have these bright things. And you repattern the uh, you repattern that traumatic experience. So when you go to draw that back up from your past, you're drawing up a different recategorized experience. Like you're rewriting the, the, the software that's, you know, always rewritable, like those rewritable floppy disks. You know, you take that thing out, you rewrite it with a whole different hue of your neurochemicals and the feelings that you're surrounding it. And then when you access it again, or when it's just carrying around in your, in your, you know, memory, then it doesn't have the same sting. It doesn't have the same trauma. And that's one of the mechanisms of action of, of MDMA and also what they're looking at with ayahuasca. Ayahuasca going back, not flooding you necessarily with serotonin, but showing you that of these events in a slightly different perspective, showing you, well, hey, that's actually what made you so ambitious and so strong. And this traumatic thing that you thought was so horrible, it actually brought out all these other benefits. And it was actually, you know, if you really see from the person who, the perpetrator's perspective, you know, look at all the sadness that created that. Look at where he was coming from. So you repattern that traumatic event, and then it's not carrying that sign of same dramatic, terrible weight, that lifeless body that you're trying to carry around. It's just been rewritten. There's also the perspective that who you are, like as a person right now, is an accumulative effect of all your experiences. That's what makes you who you are. Well, if you have some mind-blowing experience, which is what a psychedelic experience is, you're mm-hmm. going to change. Like yep. You're going to be a different person. I mean, it might be a, mo- a microscopic shift of the dial. Like if you had a safe and you were click, 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 it might be like one click, click, like after a psychedelic experience. <laughs> and then you might have another psychedelic experience. You might get a double click, click, click. You know, but it's very small movements, right? But ultimately, you're a different person. So if, if, even if it's a small movement, that new experience has given you a chance to sort of mock the things that were threatening you just momentarily. Totally. Just, just, just a few moments ago, just a, a, four hours ago before you took the mushrooms. You're like, God, why was I worried about that? That's nothing. <laughs> like, it gives you that opportunity because you're literally a different person now. You've had this experience. The fucking problem is they're illegal. If they weren't illegal, you'd be able to, because that's the big fear, right? How do I know what I'm taking? Of course. How do you know what you're taking? Yeah. You don't fucking know. You don't know because Big Daddy Pharma has paid off the fucking Big Daddy government to keep it out of your greasy little hands so you can't trip balls and live in the woods like a fucking pixie. The, the beautiful thing is, though, it's coming. Because as, so. as soon as they open the doors to clinical research, it's an undeniable force. Mm-hmm. Like, you cannot deny the evidence that's coming back from the MAPS, you know, phase two clinical trials. You cannot deny the evidence coming out of, you know, Johns Hopkins and these other research institutes about psilocybin. They are helping people with conditions. And you just, you know, follow the scientific method all the way through and all the plants are going to arrive. Like, we gotta, we're going to get them all home. We got to get Trump on drugs. That's what we got to do. <laughs> For sure. We got to get the new president to do DMT. If we got him to do DMT, it would change so much. Mm-hmm. Or just a, just a little dose of mushrooms, bro. You don't even have to get crazy. Take a gram and a half. Just a gram and a half for a little reset. Just yeah. a little reset. Just a little little sit back and a little, wow, what, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Exactly. What are we doing here? I just think this is a unique and special time. And as long as we can be aware 
And as long as we, we, we verbalize that, we say it all the time, this is a unique and special time. Let's capitalize on this unique and special time. Let's use this unique and special time to establish a new understanding for this generation and to set things up way better for the next generation. Dude, my parents, I'm older than you, my parents were essentially raised by barbarians. <laughs> they came over on a fucking boat. They had no idea what was over here. You know, their, their parents did it, really. Like, my grandparents' parents did it. They came over from Italy and from Ireland. They were savages, man. They were hardly different from the people that came over on the boats during the pilgrim days. They were barbarians. Yep. They just had a little bit more culture, a little bit more language, a little bit more this. They beat the shit out of their wives. They were always drunk. They were monsters, a lot of them. They're just crazy people scratching and clawing. Their understanding of life during the Ed Sullivan show, their understanding of what the world was really all about, is so far removed from the average 20-year-old with a, 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 an internet account who can go on YouTube. As long as he stays away from those flat earth videos, he's going to have a real good understanding of how this motherfucker works yeah. and a way better understanding than any grown adult with children did in the 1950s when my parents were kids. Yeah. There's no fucking way. There's no no, you can't compete. So I think that we have this unique opportunity to set up the future society where all of this silliness that we still have to deal with, like the WikiLeaks email that came out about Hillary Clinton that said that she opposes marijuana, quote, in every sense of the word, you can't do that anymore. You can't do that anymore. Like mm -hmm. that to me, that people were still willing to support that, like this, oh, this is better than him, he grabs pussies. Is it, are you sure it's better? Because I don't know if it's better. I, I think the whole thing's a mess. You can't have people stopping, and go, oh, it's all about the pot with you. It's all about freedom. Mm -hmm. And anybody that wants to stop pot, they can stop sex, they can stop whatever the fuck you want to do that they decide they can profit off of you not doing that. And you think they can't stop sex. Look what religion did to sex. Sure. Right? Look how many people were burned for their sexual practices at the stake, literally. Like, you can ban absolutely everything. There's laws on the books that are throwing people in jail for homosexuality that will flare <gasps> up still now like okay in different places of the world where they'll kill people for sex so it's not that that hasn't even been tried like the the ability the monstrous nature of humans to be able to impose those restrictions on people of the sovereignty of their own consciousness and their own body you can only ejaculate this way you can only expand your consciousness in these manners like, women can't drive they have to dress like genies they have yeah. to cover themselves the like fuck, i dream man. of genie <laughs> But yeah, it's like we gotta discard all that shit. And this idea that, you know, these these pastors have more knowledge than someone who just spent, you know, a few days out in the woods doing mushrooms. Like, are you sure? You know, well, like the who one should dude you be took the photo from heaven. He's got a lock. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's he's, yeah, he's, he's got, got a seen photo. It all. There yeah. was a story that was out just a couple of days ago about uh, some woman in Indonesia that received a hundred lashes. For like being around a man, being too close to a man, there's a bunch of people that were publicly flogged for sex crimes. But there were sex crimes as similar, like as as, as innocuous as a woman was too close to a man, like they gave her like 90 lashes or some crazy and shit. All the little boners underneath the fucking robes was oh. from the people who were lashing the woman. Yeah, here it is. You know? a student gets a hundred lashes for sex outside marriage in Indonesia. So he got a hundred lashes and there was another one about a woman. That dude looks just like the male dudes in that fucking sex BDSM dungeon porn from San Francisco where they took that old <laughs> prison out and they all fucking dress like that and locking people up. It's the same dude. Yeah. He just gets to do it in public. Oh, it's even Ooh. extra kinky. I get to whip people in fucking public. 
public. She was flogged with a rattan cane. Do you say a rattan? How do you say it? Rattan, rattan cane. Yeah. At least seven times for being too close in in close proximity to a man. So they beat her with a cane seven times for being in close proximity to a man. The 32-year-old male who was with her was also flogged seven times. Hmm, it's interesting. The, the, let's look at, that, look at that sentence is structured. The 34-year-old woman was flogged with a rattan cane at least seven times, being in close proximity to a man. That's the horror. The 32-year-old male who was with her was also flagged seven times. <laughs> like, that's, it's not the man and the woman were both flagged, flogged seven times each. It's like the woman, horror upon horrors, this beautiful young woman was flogged because she had sex with a man or because she was close to a man. The dude was flogged too, but fuck him, <laughs> you know? And the woman, it hurts so bad, the woman said. She cited a AFP, uh, raising her arms in the air. But what about the dude? The dude, they didn't even ask him. They didn't even ask the dude. Fuck him. He's a dude, that fucking cisgendered asshole with his male privilege. His <laughs> white, he's probably white in Indonesia. They probably would have given him 100 if he was black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's, I, I went to the Dungeon of the Inquisition in Italy, and that's, that changed my whole perspective on everything. Put that back up. Listen to this one. Put, go back to where you were. Here we go. Look at this. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, Jamie doesn't know how to do the internet. <laughs> okay, the, a man found guilty of sex outside the marriage was also flogged at least 22 times by the person delivering the punishment who was dressed in long robes and a hood. His partner, who is two months pregnant, is still waiting for her fate to be decided. Wow, she's pregnant and they're going to decide her fate. In such situations, officials in the province usually order the flogging of the woman after they give birth. Holy shit. Holy shit. That's Fuck. Indonesia in 2016. That is holy shit. That's scary. That is just what happens when people decide what the rules are. You can't let people decide the rules. And, lose, and, lo and have false metaphysical underpinnings. Have that underpinning that that's someone who deserves that kind of punishment. Yeah. You know, have that, you know, you lose the idea, those fundamental things. That's me living a different life. Would yeah. I want to do that to me? Like, do you understand the actual truth of the urges that that person had and the truth of everything? You start turning everything on its head and then you get these crazy rules and abilities. Like, and it's not just Indonesia. Like, I went to the Dungeon of the Inquisition in Italy and it was so much fucking darker than a cane. Did you I mean, feel it when you were in the room? For sure. It? It, was, it was nauseating, especially when you start seeing that 60% of these fucking things have to do with your genitals. Like burning rods they're shoving in dick holes and assholes. And but it's like all for all Jesus. The way yeah, exactly. For Jesus. Like the absolute God. antithesis of the Jesus message when you really look at it mystically. Like, like from the from the what the metaphysical truths of what he's espousing and then somehow they go from that to that and i think it's again it's like that incremental creep you know towards a little bit harsher punishments a little bit more sadistic you know yeah. and and you get more and more and more and you get that you start feeding that urge for sadism that urge to to not only you know punish somebody but to do it in the most horrifying way and you know, that's part of human nature. Well, that's you know about the Stanford prison experiments, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if, if you haven't heard about that, folks, l look it up. Um, it's a re really interesting story. They, um, they had these students, and these college students at uh, Stanford, they put them through this experiment where some of them were guards and some of them were prisoners. And the, the guards almost immediately started abusing the prisoners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they fucking canceled it. They had to cancel it. They had to stop it short. Yeah, it's... Uh and I think, 
you know, the problem is, is that we all try to, we all try to bury these, these thoughts, these darker thoughts that we have, you know, like all of us inside of us, you know, you look at times of war and, you know, whole armies that would go part of why they would go on these contests was for rape. You know, like we all think of ourselves like as, as men now, like, man, I would never be capable of, of doing anything, hurting anybody else. But inside our genetics, inside the things that was passed along our lineage were warrior cultures that probably produced our fucking ancestors through rape. Like that's part of every individual, these dark thoughts. This, it feels somehow good to hurt somebody else. And the fact that we deny those entirely, they become monsters, you know, whereas you just acknowledge and like, Look at them and say, man, I'm all the bad stuff. I'm all the good stuff. It's all good. What am I going to choose to do? You know, what do I want to put out in the world? And I think that's a really important, important facet to recognize that, you know, we're all, we're all fucked up, you know, but it's our choice that decides, you know, who we really are and what we want to bring into the world. Are we going to make this amazing video game a better place, a better game? Or are we going to make it miserable for everybody we encounter? I've always wondered about um, mob rules. Like I've always wondered about like the mob mentality. Like what is that? Where's that coming from? Is that come is that like an acceptance of war? Like is that I wonder if that's some sort of a survival mechanism where you're able to do horrific shit as long as everybody around you is doing horrific shit. So all of a sudden the the, the collective mindset shifts and new rules apply. Like if people are coming over the fence and y'all have axes and you're coming at them, you're doing things you would never do on a daily basis. You're hacking off arms and attacking people. And once it's real, it's real, right? Once the first guy gets an arrow through the fucking head and you see the shit going down, like you're swinging and it's all going crazy and everyone around you is doing the same thing. And no one, no one could go, guys, guys, <laughs> seriously, no. what are we doing? Let's let's stop here and let's realize we can all get along. There's plenty of vegetables for everybody. Let's stop the raping. Get to know these girls. Like they'd cut your fucking head off and light your house on fire and stab your mom. They would go crazy. I mean, that's what they did. They, they call just, it, yeah, bloodlust. Right. There's you a know. something, a thing. There's there's a something that happens. There's a thing that happens to people. Yeah. When you, you have that mob mentality, you could probably look at like Steve. Someone like Stephen Kotler can probably tell you more about the, you know, the adrenaline and neurochemical response mm. that's creating this version of yourself that's like supercharged on these certain things. So your empathy, you know, your empathy ratings go way down. It's like like you're looking at the Westworld control board, right? And it's like empathy ratings way down, aggression way up. Like all of these different neurochemicals that are changing, like literally changing yourself mm. into something that is much more favorable for those actions. Right. You know? Yeah, but it creates a collective mindset. Mm -hmm. It's like the individual, because like, but it's one of the things you hear all the time about war is the, the really noble, heroic warriors who sacrifice themselves to save others. Like it's one of the, the main uh, themes that we love hearing about. Like the guy who dives on the grenade to save his people to save the guys who are around him. Like that is something that happens in that crazy that crazy environment of that that intensity of life. It's one of the weirder things about it, man, is how many people who go through that say it was the best time of their life and they'd love to go back. Yeah. They well, presence, man. I really think that anytime your presence, every time you're present, you're it's some of the best time yeah, of your not life. Like, not like Christmas presents. Yeah, no. <laughs> just, like when you're just present, like when you're you're in flow state when you're in war because part of it is that intense threat. You know, like you don't have time to think about your email. That incessant, you know, voice from your phone to check Instagram is not in your fucking head. You're right. in war. 
you know, and that's unless some girl's been like DMing you and they're like, damn, <laughs> you it's just going can't down. Get out yet. <laughs> We're meeting up tonight for sure. And I think probably at a certain level of like Tim Kennedy, he might have those thoughts. Like it's just so calm for him. He doesn't give a fuck. Well, it's a, the Musashi thing. Yeah, exactly. That's probably why he actually started having to fight with oars because at a certain point with a sword, he probably wasn't even getting the same feeling anymore. Right. Probably didn't even feel like a sword battle. It was like a like a sparring match when you know you're going twenty percent and you're all relaxed and shit rather than when you're just knowing like all right these people are coming for me it's a different kind of mental state that you get in and maybe you know the ore thing was like all right i'm just not feeling it i'm too good well he actually realized too that the ore had a much longer reach yeah and so he was cracking dudes in the head from the outside <laughs> so there was actually a, a good strategic element to the ore and I th i'm pretty sure he whittled the ore down like uh, and he would show up super late too. Yeah. that was his other thing <laughs> The dudes would be move. so tired. They'd be just freaking, oh my God, am I going to die tonight? Am I going to die? They'd be thinking that for hours, and then finally he shows up. Yeah. But back then, I mean, what, what do they have, fucking sundials on their wrists? How did you even know what time it was? Yeah, you could definitely get away with a lot more. Yeah, there's a lot of wiggle room for fucking dawn. What's dawn to you, bro? <laughs> midday, too. Midday is a real fucking <laughs> Yeah, midday. We're supposed to meet High at midday. Noon. Oh, Jesus. High noon. Come on, man. <laughs> what does that even mean? Yeah. Unless you're around a sundial. Yeah, and even that seems like it'd be hard to get that right. Nobody had that on their wrist. That was only the Flintstones. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> the Flintstones had that on their wrist, remember? Yeah. Get a fucking sundial. That's hilarious. <laughs> I wonder who the fir the first dude with a watch that he carried around. What a pimp that guy must have been. Those Did you say what time it is? <laughs> Clap, motherfucker. <laughs> he opens it up like a coffin. Flavor Flav size hanging mm -hmm. from his neck. Like when, let's, let's just guess, when was the first pocket watch created? I'm going to say 1600s. Mm. Is, that, is that ambitious? I say 1712. Ooh, very Jamie? specific. Very specific. It's like Price is Right, right? The very write. first pocket watch. If you have a pocket watch today, by the way, you're an asshole. If it's hanging from your vest on a string and you're drinking handmade beer, you piece of shit. Stop using mustache wax. Stop stop dressing like you live in a different time zone. <laughs> Look at those those brothers, those brothers that used to everybody had drank out of mason jars and all the wood was raw. All their commercials was like they're all wearing spats. Fifteen oh four, wow. People are way smarter than that, give them credit. Mm. Wow, we were both off by I was off by over 100 years, too. Don't work around. for 40 hours, though. But good enough, dude. Why are you so picky? 40 hours is a whole week. You could use it for the week for working. Huh. They were small enough to be worn around the neck or carried in a bag or pocket. Interesting. Did they have a photo of one of those? Did, someone, did one of those still uh, exist today? See if it still exists. You're a gangster because you get a statue made out of you if you invent the pocket watch. Yeah, you're a dope motherfucker. Because sure. he didn't know, but that was what led to the Apple Watch. He didn't know at the time. Mm -hmm. It's going to be, you can never get away. Is that what it looked like? Hmm. I wonder. You think you just slap that thing out on the table if you're trying to impress a girl? Fuck just yeah. Just this giant, giant gold It's like column. Ferrari keys. <laughs> yeah. Look at that those, thing. Yeah, Ferrari keys never stay in the pocket, right? <laughs> you're bringing those things out He's always. Wear them like a ring. <laughs> spin them around your finger. Wow, look at the mechanism in that thing. Holy shit, man. That's gorgeous. That's a thing that people super dork out about, man, is handmade watches. Yeah. I didn't, I had no idea. My friend Mark Delagrate, you know Mark Delagrate. Mm -hmm. Mark Delagrate's a watch nut. So was uh, Anthony Giordano. What a, what a fucking coincidence. Two guineas. <laughs> 
two shiny guineas. <laughs> I really watch nuts. But uh, they, they, Anthony was telling me that there's uh, Anthony's the guy who's directed all my except one of my uh, comedy specials. I love that dude. He directs the UFC too. He told me that uh, there's watches that are a half a million bucks. Like That's what? Insane for a watch. I go, it just it looks like a regular watch. It's like it looks like a regular watch. Yeah. I go, what's the deal? It's really rare. You know, it's very accurate. The mechanism is like super complex. It's all handmade. It takes like six months to make one. I'm like, what? <laughs> it takes six months to make a watch. You know, you get look at this one, two hundred nineteen thousand. Oh my god, what is that? What does it look like? That's it. That's definitely not it. That oh my like god, that is it. It looks like a transformer. Click on that. It looks like a cobra. Oh. It's probably loading still. See how it's spinning up on the right, the top? Oh, no, it's just not coming up, huh? It should be, it should be loaded fast. Wow, though. Holy shit. Click on the image. Just click on the image instead of the link. What the fuck, man? $219,000 for the ugliest watch you've ever worn. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody's going to know it's $200,000. That's the rub, son. I, uh, Hugh Blow, it's, it's funny. So my buddy Bodie was sponsored by them and he got a bunch of watches and he just doesn't care about watches so they were just like in the drawer with like the regular other stuff and I finally convinced him to to, let, to give me one and it's sweet but it's not like a big deal dude like, that it, thing's disgusting that thing is ridiculous that is so it's ugly like a safe vault that looks like they would sell it at Best Buy in the line before you leave where they have the candy they got that design from Sharper <laughs> Image for sure from Sharper <laughs> Image that is so ugly that is such a weird-looking, stupid watch. Look at that guy. He's so psyched. Oh, look at my watch, bitch. So, look at his, I'm rich, bitch. Look at his yellow eyes <laughs> like the dude from Sin City. <laughs> he's like, I'm rich, bitch. <laughs> look at He's so happy. He's going to jump in his Ferrari and take it to his private jet and get his dick sucked all the way to Monaco. <laughs> <laughs> that probably happened. Look at those fucking ugly watches, man. They're so gross. Look at the one with the, the guy's wrist in the upper right-hand corner, Jamie. Up there, yeah. Look look how big that stupid thing yeah, is. Definitely needs to be bigger. That is crazy. It looks like an alien locked onto that dude's wrist. Like some alien bug. Like like the running man fucking <laughs> the neck the neck piece that would explode if you were oh, right, in a right, certain right. zone. Yeah. Looks like that watch might just clamp down and remove your hand. Just blow your hand off. <laughs> Boom. <Yeah>. Ah! <laughs> squirt, squirt, squirt. <laughs> yeah. Fuck that watch. $219,000. That's so stupid. It's ugly. Yeah. This watch costs like $200. Well, just another way, to, another way to subtly shit on people. You it's know? weird, like, man. Just show your, show your status, your identity, and blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, it's these, these games, the games that we like to play to, to push our, you know, to what Jordan was saying, like create that temporary inequality, mm. you know, create that appearance of inequality. I'm better than everybody because I have this giant fucking safe vault on my on my hand you know, that's yeah i had a conversation with this dude about watches and uh he's like what kind of watch is that I, it was one of those uh mvmt watches as a sponsor of the podcast and they only cost like 150 bucks and they're dope they're nice they're mm -hmm. real they're really nice looking watches and he's like oh man i thought it was a nice watch i go but you thought it was a nice watch you thought it was a nice watch but now it's not a nice watch because you know it's only 150 bucks <laughs> like it's yeah. still the, it's still the same watch it tells time look at it see it tells time Set. What is this? How much is this piece of shit? Five million. <laughs> oh my god! It's the Boom. same company, yeah. Hugh Bolt. So Hugh <laughs> Bolt has <laughs> figured <Hugh> out <laughs> whatever they figured out how to find the retards. 
They figured out how to lock them in. This, this one down here is $25 million. Oh, my here Jesus one. fucking yeah. What is this that? Is, this is the watch part right That's here. like a stellar nursery. That's what it is. That's how many million? $25 million. If you're a chick and you can get a guy to buy you that, your pussy is gold. <laughs> you must have that super pussy. That that snapping pussy that Richard Pryor used to talk about in his old records. <laughs> yeah, it's the pussy that extends deep into the soul. 30 million? That one's 30 million. Is that a pocket watch? Yeah. The pocket watch is 30 million. So you're an asshole and you spent 30 million dollars because anyone with a pocket watch is an asshole. What is that thing? Look at it. It says it was started work on in 1782 and was finished in 1827 by the guy's son. Oh, that, well, that's, died, so that's different. Old and dope. That's different. That is wicked. So that that was a that long took project. Took 100 years to make that watch. Imagine you get drunk and left out at the bar. <laughs> hey, guys, I'm super sorry. Did you see a priceless watch? It's worth a couple houses. It's worth more than a couple. $30 million? It's worth, worth a fucking mansion and a jet. In the Hamptons. You can live in the Hamptons off a watch. Imagine that. You could buy the whole, you could just say, uh, how are you going to pay? Uh, I'm going to give you a watch. Like, what? Imagine going back to like, <laughs> going back to like a primitive, more tribal culture and like explaining how much value you could get for something silly like that. You know, like, like uh, there was this watch and I could buy houses and have control vast lands and get unlimited food and, and make people of all varieties do all the things I wanted just from this one little token. And they'd be like, well, what does it do? And you're like, nothing. Mm. It does nothing. But it's valuable. <laughs> you know, they would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, it's not a better arrow. Like, it's not a better, you know, it's just this, it's one of these things that comes up when you get a, a society of, of luxury Excess. like we have. Yeah. Yeah. The, the status purchase. The status purchase. It's interesting. They're not even good. That's what, A lot of them are not good. Like, uh, I've never bought a Rolex for myself, but the UFC bought me a Rolex a long time ago. I, it's just, it's a beautiful watch, right? It's beautiful. But it was always running fast, like five minutes fast. So I, I brought it in, and I'm like, this, I don't know what it is, but like after a month, it's like five minutes fast. The guy goes, oh, yeah, yeah, they always do that, so you just got to bring it back and reset it every month. I went, what? Like, you have to change the time every month? <laughs> this this watch, I don't know how much it costs. I don't even remember. But it, I don't have to change the time. It's always right. It's yeah. right. It runs. It's got a quartz movement. He's like, oh, yeah, quartz movement is just going to be more accurate than this. Well, why is, what? Wait a minute. So these are just bad? They just suck at telling the time? They, they're fucking so bad at telling the time. They're like five seconds fast or five minutes fast after, like, uh, just a couple of months. So you just got to accept that? That's it. You just accept it doesn't really t keep time. It sort of keeps time. It's, it's the status. It's take. a status bracelet that happens to keep time. How weird is that? Yeah. Like they're not <clears> good at it. You have to check. Like let's see. Up. Oh, nope. Watch is off. Hold on. Set the watch. <laughs> like your watch just gets off. Like you rely on the actual real clocks. Like this fucking piece of shit that we. What do we spend like four bucks on this? That thing's right all the time. It's never wrong. <laughs> you wind that bitch up to 4 o'clock, and then when it's 5, it'll show you it's 5. It's fucking right. It's always right. Didn't cost anything. Yep. But, yep. But it's Rolex, bitch. Doesn't satisfy the ego in the same way. Mm. Doesn't get it fired up. Doesn't let you get to feel better about yourself. So that, you know, I think when you really don't know, when, again, going back, you don't know the self. You want to feel better by your about yourself by making yourself better than somebody else because you have no other reference point of what it is so all right if i'm better than these other people 
you know, whether it's something you have or something you are inherently or the melanin in your skin or whatever the fuck you want to say, if that makes you better than someone else, then you can, um, then you can feel better about yourself. Well, I don't know who I am. I don't know if I'm good or bad, but at least I'm better than these fucks, you know, and then that makes you feel better. But it's all, it's all this fucking bullshit game that we try to tell ourselves that comes from the fundamental lack of knowing who we are and knowing that whoever we are is enough and it's all good and we're all the same. You say that, but Boris, the guy with that fucking transformer on his wrist, is getting his dick sucked right now while drinking <laughs> vodka, flying his private jet over the Atlantic. He disagrees with you. That girl knows Maybe. that that's a $250 million watch, whatever the fuck he's wearing. <laughs> she knows he's balling out of control yeah. on his private jet. It's covered with feathers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boris got his whole jet decked out like an eagle. <laughs> the wings actually flap yeah. somehow it makes the flying worse <laughs> but, but they flap just for effect and that's when he starts coming oh <laughs> when the eagle wings flap while he's looking at his watch oh <laughs> he looks at his watch at the girl and then out the window in that order oh <laughs> The best, the best moment of his life. Yeah, and then he shoots himself in the head because he knows it'll never be any better. <laughs> Everything has been yeah. building to that. Yeah, he shoots a couple holes in the plane so that it fucking crashes, and then shoots himself. <laughs> they, well, the eagle wings would clearly bring the plane down. <laughs> Actually, the minute you activated eagle wing mode, that plane is fucking taking a taking a nosedive, no taking a Captain Sully. No one's ever gone out on top, right? No one's ever had like the ultimate life like that. And they just said, That's just, I think it doesn't get any better than this. Let's just, we're good. We're good. Boom. No. I was watching the Lomachenko-Walters uh, fight the other night. Did you mm -hmm. see that fight, that no. boxing match? God damn. Vasil Lok yeah, I think you say Vasil, Vasil Lomachenko. Vasily. I've heard Vasily. Um, but Lomachenko is a masterful boxer. I mean, he just boxed the shit out of this dude. This dude was undefeated. And just footwork. Just unbelievable footwork and ability to predict where his where the punches are coming from his opponent, where he's going to have openings, and he was just lighting this dude up in the last round. And uh, at the end of the last round, the dude just quit. He just quit. He quit in the seventh round. Just said, "I'm done." Mm -hmm. Like he didn't get knocked down. He he didn't get like he got staggered in the sixth round or in the seventh round. He got staggered. But it wasn't to the point where you thought they would end the fight because he ended the round on his feet, went back to his corner, walked, sat down, was like, fuck this, so it's over. And then, yeah. you know, in his post-fight speech, he's just basically saying, look, the guy was hitting me too much. I just I saw the writing on the wall. Check, please. Yeah, that's smart. Actually, yeah. more people should do that. You just want to see him for your own, for your own, you know, desires. You want to see him go out on their shield. Like, that's the noble way to do it, is you know to why? let him knock you out. Do you know why? Mm -mm. Pat Barry versus Czech Congo. Remember that shit? Yeah, yeah. you just never know. Never know. Yeah. Pat Berry versus Czech Congo was like one of the craziest one-round slobber knockers ever. Pat Berry had Czech Congo all kinds of hurt, had him staggered. And Pat Berry's super aggressive. He's turning it on and smashing Czech Congo. And out of nowhere, Congo uncorks a bomb. I mean, Pat has got Czech Congo all kinds of hurt. He rocks him with that overhand right. 
Congo gets up. He's tagging him, and it looks like he's almost out on his feet. I mean, he's getting hit by bombs here. He's all kinds of hurt. Pat Barry's sprawling. He keeps the fight standing as Congo tries to take him down. He hits him with another right hand, rocks him again. Boom, another couple punches. I mean, Pat Barry looks fucking unstoppable here. Look at this. Again, but now, as he closes in, boom, he gets clipped with that right hand, and then out <laughs> cold. Two punches later. Yep. Out of nowhere. Crazy. I mean, that is as close as someone's come to the brink of disaster and come back instantaneously. Instantaneously and won by knockout. Wasn't, didn't Chris Lieben do that, too, to somebody yeah, when he was and just to getting... Yeah, to Vandalay. He did that yeah. to Vandalay. He starched Vandalay. Vandalay came out and blasted him with the right hand, had him hurt, but he fell into the trap because Lieben punches so fucking hard, and he always had an iron chin, and he just uncorked one on Vandalay, <laughs> and Vandalay went, uh-oh. <laughs> Similar yeah. thing happened this weekend, right? Did you watch the, was it Derek Brunson fought? Yes. Yeah, right. Well, similar in a way, but more calculated. Derek Brunson just got crazy. And uh, he fought Robert Whittaker, who won uh, Ultimate Fighter Australia, the Smashes edition. Was it Australia versus England? Is that what it was? No. I forget what it was. What did they, what, who was competing on? Anyway, Whittaker won. And uh, Whittaker, since moving up to 185, he's so much better than he was at 170. And Derek Brunson just came after him. Derek Brunson's the same guy who he had just knocked out um, Uriah Hall. He, he caught him with a beautiful left hook and yep. hurt him. And it was just a crazy fight. And then he came back from that, sort of employed the same strategy against Whitaker, but Whitaker kept it together. Kept it together, got he ate a lot of shots, kept moving though, kept his hands up, kept his composure, and then finally found an opening. And boom! Dropped one on Brunson and then had Brunson crazy hurt and then moved in on him. So it was an awesome... It, it was an awesome exhibition for Whitaker to show that Whitaker can overcome the storm of like a super confident, really dangerous guy who hits fucking hard, who's had a lot of confidence because of his most recent success doing that. I mean, Brunson came after him, really, really came after him, super aggressive, maybe too aggressive for sure. In now, in hindsight, you could say that, but a lot of people other than Whitaker probably would have wilted to that storm. Yeah. So it's interesting. It was a really stern test for Whitaker and it showed you how strong he is. Yeah, it was one of the one of the beautiful aspects of watching these different this chess play out with the whole body being utilized. You know, you're never going to beat it for its excitement level. No, you you have to realize while you're watching it that like life, nobody gets out for free. Yeah, like life. I mean, it's almost a microcosm of life. It's crazy struggle, and it you know it doesn't always end your way. Is this what what competition is in mixed martial arts? is the most extreme version of problem solving we have outside of war. Mm -hmm. So most extreme, with dire physical consequences, you get brained, like we saw Pat Berry get KO'd there. You know, I mean, that's the consequences of this game. But the, 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 the reality or the, the, the take is, nobody gets out anyway alive. Yeah. Like you, you can, if you choose to experience this, this extremely high level for very short bursts, understand how much resources you're burning off, understand what you're doing, and you know, proceed wisely. When I when I talk to fighters who you know sometimes question, like, man, what am I doing to myself? I'm just beating people up, and that's what I do. You know, to remind like remind them that what really is happening is two people are coming to an agreement to provide a form of resistance for each other. Like at the highest level of what this is, like 
you're going to come face to face with someone who's also training and also striving to do everything that you're trying to do, which is what's going to push you up against that form of resistance and give you an opportunity not only to overcome physically, but overcome emotionally, spiritually, psychically, everything, you know, you'll have to bring everything to bear against that form of resistance, whether it's the weight cut or the opponent or the training or everything. And there's something to be said for that. The, the Obviously, the only issue for a lot of people is that you end up paying that price not only then, but later mm. if you get the brain damage, you know, and that's that's the only bummer of it and something that um, to be considered. But as, if it wasn't for that, man, what a fucking beautiful way to do it, like to get everything, everything all together, unified in one and provide that ultimate form of resistance, like unbeatable. It's definitely the most difficult physical challenge that we know of because you're competing, especially at the highest level, you're competing with someone who's the same size as you has a commensurate level of expertise as you and is as motivated as you are to win. And you're in this crazy competition together where you're literally playing a game of press the button. Mm -hmm. Who, you know, who's, who can shut off whose central nervous system quicker? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what? <laughs> Fucking crazy game. You, you, you're never going to duplicate the excitement of that with any other sport. You come close, like I guess football is probably pretty close for people. Boxing's probably uh, right up there in moments. You know, like when Juan Manuel, Ma let me say that again, Juan Manuel Marquez knocked out Pacquiao. He yeah. hit him with that beautiful, clean, straight punch and just flattened Pacquiao. That was about as dramatic a moment as you get in any sort of combat sport. Sure. You see a superhero like Pacquiao get leveled with one shot, like whoa! But that whoa. It's just so much more prevalent in mixed martial arts. Yeah. That woe happens so much more often. It's a totally different thing. And I think the the more rules that you put in 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 front of that kind of primal conflict, you know, the the a little bit more it it kind of separates and makes it a sport. You know, yep. like when you see boxers kind of grabbing each other and doing nothing about it. You know, that's when that moment of like, oh yeah, this is a sport. Right. Whereas in MMA, there's fewer of those moments where you go like. Oh yeah, this is a sport. It really just feels like people fighting to the death. Yeah, you know? the, the the only moments where you go to sports like you can't grab the fence or right, you, know, right, you right. can't punch the balls or oh you poked the eye, time out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's moments in boxing where you go, well, this is kind of silly. You know, how come you can just hang on like this? How come that guy can't trip you and take you down? How come he can't kick your legs? <laughs> right. You know, it's right. really hard for me to watch boxing sometimes and not think about kicking someone's legs, like or someone kicking someone's legs rather. Not that I'm running around, man, I want to kick people. <laughs> I mean, I see the way they're standing. And I'm like, yeah, well, Look this those is... those little thighs. Yeah. I'm like, this is effective as long as someone's not kicking your legs. Yeah. You know, but if you're you're fighting the same fight, but you're, you know, you're fighting someone like um, Joe Schilling, he's going to be fucking kicking the shit out of your legs. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a totally different experience. And he's a long dude, so he's going to be standing way on the outside. And if you don't know how to deal with that... You're only going to be able to absorb a few of those before you're useless. Yeah. Or you think of like Badr Hari's like leaping overhand right where he commits <laughs> everything, all of his childhood pain yeah. into that right hand, right? You can't do that all the time in MMA because someone will just go duck underneath mm -hmm. it and double leg you. But he's never had to worry about that. So, you know, it's still still he's one of the most exciting motherfuckers ever. And he's fighting again soon. He's fighting Rico Verhoeven. <laughs> that's going to be amazing. December 10th. Yeah. Yeah. That's a crazy night. There's a gang of fights that night. That same night, Bernard Ho no Bernard Hopkins is the seventeenth. He's making his final fight, but uh, that same night is uh, the UFC from Toronto, 
It's glory, and there's something else going on that night too. There's some sort of a boxing fight that night as well. Is it, but it's a crazy night. That's a that's a weird fight, man. Verhoeven and Badr Hari. Badr Hari's a scary dude. Yeah, literally. Yeah, <laughs> in many savage, in many many ways. So fun to watch. Yeah. He's one of my favorites ever. He's so he commit, like you said, he just commits, commits yeah. in this extremely violent way. And sometimes he gets carried out on a shield, you know. And sometimes he, he and goes he clearly out. can't shut that off. Like once he gets that thing going, I mean, he'll want to stomp his opponent after they're down, and he's just a fucking savage. Yeah, he's definitely. I, I would love to see their uh, laundry list of Mexican supplements. Yeah. I would, I'm like, what kind of co cocktail are you guys run in here? Like, <laughs> he definitely has hair braided around his dick like Princess Leia. Dude, he's, sure. so, he's so big now. Have you seen him? Have you seen the, the most recent photos no. of Bader? Uh -uh. Pull up the recent photos of Bader Hari because he put some photos on Instagram of him training and you know he took pictures of him with his shirt off. And you're like, what? Jesus Christ. He looks like he's about 250 now, something like that. And he's a big giant dude. He's always been a big yeah. giant dude, but he's like super, super muscled out now. Look at this shit. He's fucking Damn. jacked, dude. He's fucking jacked. There's uh, another, There's some other photos that are maybe a little bit clearer. If you go, there it is right there, that one in the middle. What in the fuck is going on there? That dude's gigantic now. Yeah. I mean, he, that that's is, terrifying. That's gigantic. He's so much bigger than he was when he first started. When he first started kickboxing, he was this long, tall, thin guy. Because he started... Like some of his early fights that I've seen uh, during the K1 days, even he was way skinnier, like back in the day. And in uh, kickbox, like put a you want to see something? Put Bader Hari versus Stefan Leko. Um, and that was just type in Leko. Yeah, there it is, Stefan Leko. And this is Bader Hari. Look at like what he looked like back then, upper left, upper left image. Yeah, that's Bader Hari then. Look at the difference. Yeah. Crazy. He hit Stefan Lecco with a spinning back kick to the face and flattened him. <laughs> they had fought previously, and Lecco stopped him with a spinning back kick to the body. So uh, in the rematch, he he hit him with one in the face. Crazy. That's but look, a great picture. Yeah, beautiful. You can see that. Find the video. Find the video. Potter Hari KOs Stefan Lecco. Um, there it is. You got to think that this this dude's probably put on like fifty pounds or something. Yeah, is this is this is Leko? Oh, this is Dubai, 2014. I think this is the other one. This is that was, uh, yeah, that's it. You just had it right there. This is it. Here it comes. He throws one and misses. But look how skinny he is here, man. Yeah, total different guy. Different self. Yeah, here it goes. Watch it. He set it up. Sets it up with a jab. He faked it to the body. Then boom goes up top. Damn. Flat line. Nothing quite like a like that Barbosa kick. Yeah. That was almost a different one, though. He did it a sidekick to the face. It was uh, he didn't do it as like a wheel kick. If you watch it again, like rewind it a little bit, he shot it as a straight kick. Rewind it. Uh, he he threw it as. If you see how he's throwing it there, he threw it to the body. That's a spinning sidekick or a mm -hmm. turning sidekick. He's not doing it as a back kick. If he did the toes, would be down. But see how he went up there? That was just a turning sidekick to the face. It's kind of halfway between both, yeah. halfway between a wheel kick and a spinning back kick or a turning side kick, but it was fucking beautiful. Boom. Eh, looks more like a wheel kick when I look at it there, but Jesus Christ, perfect. Yep. Right on the Flawless. button. And Stefan Lecco, uh, who was a, he was a great fighter too, man. That guy, uh, he knocked a lot of dudes out. Saw him knock out Peter Ertz in Vegas 
when K1 was just starting to come up, they were they were do, putting on some shows in Vegas. This is before the UFC was big. They thought that K1 was would I, I think really still think it could have if it was promoted properly, could have like gotten a grip in North America. Well, that's why you know Glory's pushing that boulder now. Glory's a good example, and so is Lion Fight. I prefer the rules of Lion Fight though. Because Lion Fight is full Muay Thai. Yeah, elbows. We went to one of those yeah. out in Vegas. Yeah, that's that one of awesome. the few things that I go to see live. I still like to go see live. Yeah. Fuck, man. High-level Muay Thai in America, it's like the the level of the fights is very high. It's just people aren't just they're totally not aware of it yet. They need to be, though. It's, it's crazy exciting. You, It's just, and there's so much talent. It's not like this is an exciting thing, but only like five guys are good at it. It's an exciting thing where, you, especially in the lighter weights, like Thailand's full of fucking killers. Mm-hmm. They got a ton of them in Europe. They got them all over the globe. There's so many good Muay Thai fighters out there. They just, for whatever reason, we haven't caught on yet. That's why I think when I think about this time, I think it's the best time ever because we get to see all of these incredible contests still extremely physical. Like we're still at the rising peak of our physical prowess, but we're also at the peak of our technological prowess and the peak of our ability to access all of the best foods and access the best ideas and the all of the different things that can shape us. Like as pessimistic as people get, it is for sure the best of times right now you know for the majority of people now obviously there are hells on the planet still there's hells that we can put ourselves in there's suffering but overall on the macro level it's a fucking it's the golden age now for sure anybody who argues with that's an asshole yeah yeah i want to go back to the time where you had to speak with grunts and even in the future like i can't imagine that the i I guess maybe maybe it would like maybe we've just seen too many gray aliens, you know, where the body kind of becomes less and less important and everything is focused on the consciousness. I feel like you get to that level and you fucking miss this this certain, you know, evolution and epoch for the pleasure monkey where we had all of that physical access to strive and train and and feel all of the physical things as well as you know reach incredible heights in in consciousness and meditation and you know community and these these great things i think you know i think really no matter what stage before or after i think we'll look back at this one like this was a special fucking time it's definitely a special time but i think every time's a special time because every time no matter where you are on the time scale if you're in that moment you're in the most present time mm-hmm. you're in the most current time and i guarantee you at every step of the way People were longing with nostalgia for the past. I bet they were like, God damn, man, remember we used to rape? Just run across the village and chop heads off and shit. Good old days, bro. Yeah. Good times before they started writing things down on paper. <laughs> you know, there's probably a lot of people that missed that. They missed just shooting arrows, just launching them in the air, and whoever's over there, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what they did. They made it rain arrows from the sky. And like 50 years after that was over, some Viking king had a slogan, let Denmark rape again. And everybody was excited. <laughs> let Denmark rape again. Let the killings begin anew. <laughs> but that was yeah. a big problem with Japan is that they didn't want to embrace the gun. They're like, no, you pussies. You can't be fucking shooting people with guns. That's such a bitch-ass way to go. Yeah. You got to use swords. Come on. Come on. Don't be a bitch. But they, they, they held on too long. They didn't embrace the gun. They needed to get on that right away. Yep. If they had the Japanese engineering that you see today in Lexus, if they had applied that to guns, 
back in the day. That same know-how and discipline. They have the best guns. They have the best guns. But you, you dedicate yourself and become masters in the world at swordsmanship. And then the gun comes along like, fuck. What the fuck is this? <laughs> fuck. This trumps all of my years of work they with the sword. Yeah. yeah, man. They made it easy. I mean, it's sort of like a supermarket did for versus being a, a substance uh, living off the land type person mm-hmm. you know if you've watched those shows from uh alaska where the people are all living the you know they grow people. their own vegetables yeah. and shit and they catch fish in the river there's something romantic about it right there's sure. something that drags i love those shows man i watch those it's shows the simplicity all the time. of it mm-hmm. you know you like you know your purpose every day and i think when people know their purpose my purpose is to survive get food stay warm yeah. you know and uh, make babies like it's really comforting to know what your purpose is. Well, yeah, and especially if you don't have any internet. Like yeah. before they got on television, I wonder how much access to internet they even had up there. I'm lo- watch this one family that apparently, you know that uh, that singer Jewel. Do you know who sure. she is? She has uh, one snaggletooth, but she's very beautiful, and people like the fact that she doesn't fix her teeth because she's imperfect yet perfect. Um, she's apparently from this one family that has this this show. God damn it, Alaska, the Final Frontier is that the name of it? Uh, but anyway, it's her relatives. Yeah, I think I feel like close relatives yeah, that's that live up there in this crazy way, and it's uh, you know real simple. Like some of them farm and they raise cattle and they have to like move their cattle across this area to take them to where they graze and they drop them off and they have to move them back at the end of the year. It's nuts. And so while they're up there doing this grizzly bears just start ripping their fucking cows apart so now they have to go and deal with these you know 11 foot tall giant dog things that need food constantly to consume and on one hand you can't blame them like these fat stupid cows just wandered around over by the grass all they have to do is go by the grass there's fucking hundreds of them where else are they going to find hundreds of things that they can eat nowhere like you you just put out a buffet in front of the grizzly bear and you're mad that they're eating bear supermarket so they had to he had to hunt them down it's crazy watching this guy because although it is reality tv and you do not know how much of this show is bullshit because clearly some of it's bullshit Mm -hmm. there's clearly some setup like i saw one scene where they had a filleted salmon and the bear was supposedly getting fish from the river and it was coming too close to them while they're fishing but you never saw the two of them in the same frame and then you see the bear and the bear has a salmon that's filleted Meaning, like, someone cut that salmon, threw it in the water, and gave it to the fucking bear. Which is like, come on, stupid. You know, so you guys are the only people here, but yet the bear, you haven't caught a fish yet, but the bear is a fish that has fillets removed off of it. Shut the fuck up, man. I'm not stupid. Yeah. No, that's that's the TV game. But it does give you, like, a little window into the wild ways that all of us humans live. It gives a window. Which is cool. Like, when I got to... um, there's this book before they pass away. And yeah, I think we talked you about gave it me that book. Yeah, I gave you that book. Yeah, the book's amazing. It's amazing photos, but then you you start reading about these different cultures. Like I actually had the the photographer on my podcast, and he was telling What's me his about. Name? Um, what is his name? It's called Before They Pass. Jimmy Nelson. Jimmy Nelson. Jimmy Nelson. So Jimmy Nelson was on the podcast, and uh, he was talking about the Himba people, which have these amazing photos. They're like a really tall tribe, and I believe it was the Himba, and. Um, he was telling me about their custom. They live in just such a dramatically different way. So they're they're like a pastoral shepherding kind of tribe. So they have all of their cows, but there's very little grass. So the men have to take the cows on these long walks to feed them, like four weeks away, right? 
But what they do is they leave one man behind in the in the village, and it's his job to sexually satisfy all the women oh, while, all, <laughs> while all the men are gone. And that position rotates, right, so that Damn. everybody gets their turn as the one dude that gets to sexually satisfy the entire village. One of girls get pissed if it's, oh, this motherfucker <laughs> has his turn. Yeah. I hate his I little dirty you. dick. <laughs> Time to watch his little tiny dirty dick. Yeah, like there's certain guys that they're never they're never on vacation for. Yeah. when it's that guy's turn around, some girls will like hold out. They're like, "I'm good, <laughs> I'm good. You can go fuck my friends. I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait till Igor's turn. <laughs> Igor slings that good dick. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't want that. I only want her pleasure to come from my penis." My penis alone. I heard of the massage man, the way he touched her anus and made her come so hard. I hate him with all my being. One day I will remove him from this life with a sword. So funny. That someone who you love, someone else makes that person who you love, gives them pleasure. And Especially it's your if they enemy. ate their ass. <laughs> She's got her ass up in the air. She's backing up into his tongue. Uh-uh-uh. Nope. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, no. That's the thing that makes you vomit as a man because yep. like, it's it triggers these these things, but it can all be worked through. Like you can push through the other side and that's, you know. Or you could shoot yourself. <laughs> <laughs> or you could, or I think we played that, we played that country song where it's like I flash my headlights at her window and yeah. you can get all fucking crazy in your head mm -hmm. about it. Just be like, oh, the pleasure monkey's getting pleasure. Great. Yeah. Well. Men who freak out about other like girl, their girl liking another guy, like man, you can't win that one. You gotta let it go. Because here's the thing: when someone likes someone, they fucking like someone, and you're gonna accept. Oh, I can't believe it's fucking cold. I'm gonna go for a walk naked. Don't do it. You're gonna freeze to death. <laughs> Fuck that. I like walking naked. I know you like walking naked, but you can't go walking naked. You're going to fucking freeze to death. There's a reality of going outside when it's 30 below zero, right? Okay. Well, this is, the same reality applies to when someone doesn't like you. If a girl does not want to have sex with you, but she wants to fuck the rock, there's not a lot you could say about it, okay? She's not, you, well, you know, the rock doesn't love you the way I love you because I love you forever and eternity. And it's not even like the body, it's like the soul. No, it's not going to work. She's thinking of the rock and his giant Samoan dick just ramming it home. That's what she wants, okay? you you got to accept that and you're going to have to enjoy another aspect of life other than having sex with this one person who's now having sex or, with a rock or be happy for her be like man that's fucking awesome that's not gonna happen let's be real <laughs> you know just exactly look at that photo is that when he's holding one of the uh he's he slings those fucking bigfoots bro those primal bells that we have he yeah. slings that thing around like it's nothing yeah that's an enormous human dude it's it's possible to make that move man i mean i've been working on it in my own life it's fucking possible it's hard it's hard as fuck but yeah. you know you can you can transcend these things where and just understand that deeper metaphysical truth pleasure for someone i love makes that person my friend not my enemy of course you know? in theory i believe <laughs> you but for the sake of humor i'm gonna keep talking shit about the rock <laughs> Banging your sister. There he is. He's got a gorilla there. Can't believe he uses two hands. What a bitch. I threw yeah. that around with one. Yeah. The rock. It's a strong human, man. And you know what? Just not just strong like physically, but strong like his personality. Yeah. The way he projects himself. Like he's a perfect example of someone who projects like this very positive vibe, man. He's like this very energetic, positive, happy vibe. It's very infectious. Like, I see that guy talking, he does, like, YouTube clips or Instagram clips, rather, little videos he makes. And his his positivity and genuine enthusiasm and happiness 
is so infectious. I'm a fucking fanboy of The Rock. <laughs> I said it. I fucking said it. I don't care. You know who's got a great bit? Andrew Santino. I don't, I'm not going to give out a word of it. Not a word. I cannot. I cannot even. But if you get a chance, Andrew Santino has a fucking hilarious bit about The Rock. God damn, it's good. It's really funny. But um, that kind of person, man, like those are fuel. Those, those are, that's human fuel. That guy's yeah. like a, a light. So like, you know, I've come to look at ourselves like a, like a software operating system that can constantly get rewritten a little bit by, even by the people that you're around. You know, whether it's you want to look from the point of like mirror neurons, you actually experiencing the same emotional state that the person you're around. And, or if it's just ideas or thoughts or whatever you want to, however you want to look at it, it's like adding a little bit of code to our code base. And sometimes it's helpful and sometimes it's a virus. But the more you surround yourself with people with that kind of positive vibe, it's like building on the software in a positive way. Yeah. When you're around these you know, more negative people, they're implanting different little you know, bugs and viruses that you're going to have to scan and remove later. We're essentially you know? all open source. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. Open all, source All human beings system. are open source, but, uh, you know, mind your firewall. Totally. Totally. You got to be careful. Put yourself in situations where you're adding to that positive code base, the mm -hmm. books you're reading, the things you're listening to, you know, and, and be careful of the things on TV, too, that are adding to the, you know, creating more of the viruses, like supporting these negative thought patterns, these these limiting beliefs, these things that are not helpful for the code And base. don't be so committed to, to these things that you have in your idea, uh, in, in your mind. Like, don't be so set in your ideas. Because understand that people have to be just as set in their ideas in order to lash someone for being in close proximity with a man or to lash someone who had sex with a woman. You know, those, those people have the same, or to wait till a woman who's pregnant gives birth before you give her a beating with a stick because she had sex. That's the, those people believe what they believe just as firmly. And a lot of the notions that we have that we think they're rigid rules, they're not rigid rules, except dudes with man buns. Let it go. Okay? <laughs> Let it go. Stop twisting your mustache in a circle. No more man bun. No more pocket watch. Fuck you. How about that? Says the man with the fanny pack. Unironically. <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. Man buns. They're not necessary. What are you doing, Steven Seagal? He doesn't even wear one anymore. He gave it up. He moved back. I got some man bun friends that are going to be disappointed. I know they are. <laughs> They're trying hard. They're trying hard to wear that vest. Yeah. And those weird shoes with the wooden soles. <laughs> Everybody just, everybody's just looking for love, and they're looking to judge themselves as a good person, you know. And and that's that's those are two things that you can get yourself. You know, you can understand that you're worthy of love and supply that, and you can understand that you're a good person just being a person. Like, you know, you don't have to be better than somebody. You don't have to shit on somebody. You don't have to have this identity. You know, everybody could just relax. And I think all of a lot of this striving and conflict and suffering. You know, just fucking falls away. Like you're it's, worthy it's of so love. It's so easy, and you're good. though. It's so easy to say. Like that's a beautiful concept. You're worthy of love. But I think people have to experience a certain amount of difficulty in their life just to exercise their system. I think our system is put in place to have a certain amount of obstacles to overcome. And when we don't have any, or when it's like really simple stuff that's fucking boring, you know, I think people have real problems with that. I think we have real problems with our minds, real problems physically with our entire unit. I think we absolutely need a certain amount of exertion, you know, 100%. and, and, in, and my, I mean, it might not even be physical. Like uh, my friend Jerron, Jerron Horton, I went uh, to 
Colorado with him. We did a gig out there. He just got into chess. Just a madman with the chess now. Playing on his phone constantly, moving things around. And he's like, you want to play? I'm like, fuck that. I'm not getting sucked into that goddamn rabbit hole. I can see him there on the plane. Can't wait to play chess. As soon as we're off in the sky, he's all fucking with his phone shit. That's, uh, that is another discipline. I mean, they're all disciplines. They're all these different things that you try to seek truth through. I mean, yeah. chess is a form of combat. You know, it's just not painful, yeah, but it's, it's most certainly, yeah, it's a form of combat. It, it's absolutely a form. Of, it's a contest. Yep. You know, if you treat it as a war, I mean, that is essentially what you're doing. Like, you're breaking it down to a very innocuous, very safe, but very obvious what's going on. I'm testing my intellect against your intellect, and we're going to do it, do so through a, a very established series of movements that these things are allowed to participate in. We have a, a established playing field. You know the rules. I know the real rules. I think I'm smarter than you. Go. Mm-hmm. And you have that little clock thing that those dudes have. Those dudes, they fuck, they fuck with you. So they move it quick and then they hit that fucking clock. <gasps> and you want to move it quick too. You want to say, fuck you, bitch. I know that. Oh, click, clack, click, clack, click, clack, click, clack. And you see them giving up pieces and moving fast. That's some mental war. They're playing a mental, uh, some sort of a strategic conquest game. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, that's one, of, like you said, that discipline there's so many ways up the mountain but you need a mountain you need something you need a mountain it, I mean, it doesn't it's not mutually exclusive to you know the self-love aspect you can still find your mountain you know without thinking you're a piece of shit when you stumble because everybody fucking stumbles it doesn't yeah. mean you're a piece of shit it doesn't mean that you should hate yourself it doesn't mean that you should isolate yourself from the love of the world because you feel that you're not worthy of it and just create these negative patterns like yes go out fucking find your mountain but when you stumble like everybody fucking does understand that that's just life like we're all gonna stumble you just get up and keep going maybe you bitch <laughs> i'm not stumbling i got this new sure thing i'm footed. doing bro i'm doing a lot of tightrope walking in the house i got rope set up all around the house tightrope walking to the kitchen i figured somebody could do it i saw this thing this dude lives in the mountains just tight ropes to work <laughs> You mean just, someone tight ropes right across these giant spaces? What, what what's to stop people from just doing that all the time? From creating like a civilization high up in the sky, and if you fall down, you're fucked. So don't fall and uh, just tight rope. Because people love to drink. That's why. That's problem. That's why. Uh, you got to get that psychedelic honey that helps you tight rope better. Tight rope <laughs> yeah. over to the psychedelic honeycomb. Snatch it while they're. You got to stay calm while they're stinging the fuck out of you, and you're stealing beehive stuff. You ever tried? You ever gone skiing on mushrooms? You were telling me how awesome that oh, is, man. and I need to try it because I, I don't. I, skiing to me is a, it's a weird thing. It's like I can do it, but I'm always like the consequences of this like little bit of fun, is really not worth it. Like I do it because my family likes to do it, but part of me is like, don't fall down, bitch. Don't fall down, bitch. Don't fall down, bitch. Okay, here we go again. Don't fall down, bitch. Don't fall down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's fun. I get it, and if I was better at it, it'd probably be even more fun. But it's like, dude, I know too many people that have fucked their bodies up skiing. I mean, fucked up, blown their kneecap up to sure. the side of their hip, and their fucking legs broken in seven places, and their necks never moving to the left ever again. And like, whoa, what happened? I hit a tree. <laughs> I'm one of the lucky ones. I think that's people. That's why people like skiing, and even why people like mm-hmm. riding a motorcycle. It's yeah, like man. the stakes are high. When the stakes are high, you have to focus on what you're doing, and yep. then you're present again. So mm-hmm. it's fun. Yeah, gotta get better at it. That's what it is. Just coming up with bitch ass excuses. <laughs> <laughs> but it's is it, what's easier, snowboarding or skiing? Skiing, I think. Really. Yeah, Interesting. Well, at least for at least for me, when I've tried it, snowboarding the falls are way gnarlier and. 
because mm, like maybe when you, you fall, <laughs> when you fall <laughs> and you catch like your toe edge, like you slam back. And, oh like, yeah, I've gotten. <clears throat> a, I I hit my head so hard coming from a steep mountain down into a flat mm. and caught an edge on this icy part. Oh, I shit. hit the back of my head so hard that the front of my goggle lenses popped off into oh, the air God. like a fucking pop tart out of a toaster, right? And I was fucked. Like I couldn't Did you ski. Get KO'd? Yeah, yeah. I was out, woke up, people were like helpfully, you know, mm. like you like terrified, helpfully, like, you okay? And like, so that probably wouldn't happen if you're skiing, huh? You, it can, you, but it's less likely because the way that you catch that edge and just like hook up the hook up the board and it's like mm. a slingshot, it just slams oh, yeah. your head back down. Where skiing you'll like usually skid out or tumble or right. You know, one of those things. So yeah, I think the con. I mean, that's why it makes it harder to learn because there's these fucking fatal crashes you do on a <sighs> snowboard. Yeah, and skiing too, man. Sometimes some people get too close to you. Like that's another problem. Like they don't know how to control themselves very good, yep. and they're kind of like out of control. And so you have to kind of like adjust quickly to get away from them. Like ah oh, shit! Like this lady was coming down like ah! Like it looked like she was gonna go down hard, but she she got by me. I'm like oh shit! I gotta duck this lady, yeah. and so I had to take a hard left. But then the trees are right there. I'm like fuck! <laughs> I gotta take a hard right. Oh, it ain't working. Boom! And I started, but it was I I was fine. But I was like ooh boy. Like, that can go wrong yeah, if you're sure. in the wrong spot when that happens. Like, if there's a tree there and you <clears> cannot <throat> get away from that tree, like, you got to be real fucking careful who you zig and zag. I'll take that bitch out next time. <laughs> like, if we're near a tree, sorry, lady. We're both going down together. I hope you know how to fall. Yes. Yeah, like, like what they say, don't swerve for the deer. Ah! Yeah, yeah you're supposed to just hit the gas, right? Yeah. No? No. <laughs> <laughs> you're supposed to not do anything. Yeah. You're supposed to just let it hit your car. But that's ridiculous. That's like saying don't blink when someone punches you. <laughs> right. Like, how many deers do you get to hit before you realize not to hit the gas? Like, it takes... <laughs> It would be like, a, like, you ever seen a picture of Floyd Mayweather eating a jab? Like, he's getting a punch in the face, but his eyes are wide open, and he's punching back. Yeah. Because he's so conditioned to being punchy, so used to it, that he can keep his eyes open as the punches are coming in and then counter perfectly. You're not going to have that kind of resolve with a deer. No. You're going to hit that brake. Yeah. You're going to swerve. Got to get one of them giant fucking meat cleaver bumpers that they have. <laughs> Like people who live in Wyoming and shit, uh -huh. they have those road warrior bumpers yeah, on their it trucks. Just, it just makes different stakes <laughs> from when you hit them. It's like cut in like T-bone, and then it's like it's like extruded like Play-Doh. Yeah, you have to like uh, some places you can't just throw it in the back of your truck either. You have to kind of call somebody and prove that you hit it that way because they want to discourage poaching. Mm -hmm. Which it, well, it makes a lot of sense, man. But fuck, man, deer. Jumping in front of your car, what are the odds that you're going to go, okay, you can't hit those brakes. Remember, they said just don't swerve, just hit the deer. Fuck that. I think some people are better at that super calm moment of like decision making in crisis. Like, I've been around people in certain situations that like are you can't prepare for. And then there's some people who just freeze, like straight fucking freeze. Yeah. And then some people who act. And I think like all. Like off police officers and military, they train yourself past the freeze. But it's funny, like I was in Australia and this dude was drinking Bundaberg overproof rum 
And he was used to doing this trick with regular Bundaproof rum, which is Bundaberg rum, where he lights it on fire and pours it in his mouth, and it goes out when it hits his mouth. But he was doing it instead with overproof rum, right, which he'd never done before. Well, the thing with overproof rum is that motherfucker doesn't go out ever, period. Like, oh. the wind is not going to get it out. So he's pouring this flaming shot, and it doesn't go out. And so his face catches fire. Oh, Jesus. Full, full-on Hellraiser face catches fire. He's in the kitchen, and the house we're renting. Oh, Jesus. And... Like, everybody is just looking at him. He's clawing at his face. It's not working, obviously. He doesn't know what to do. Right. And and then I'm looking at him, and I, I don't know what the fuck to do. And everybody's just staying there. So I go to the faucet, and I'm, like, trying to get water and, like, spray it on him from the faucet. Not the right thing. I should have put, like, a towel or a rug right. over his head. You know, but you just don't think. You're not prepared at that moment. Right. You know? And then and then so eventually he fucking rolls around on the ground and gets in a... Get, figures Did he get out. burnt? He got burnt, but it was more like a facial. Surface. Like took the took the first layer off, and he had like a nice laser peel for a little oh, while. Oh yeah, like when someone goes does that and then doesn't say anything, you sort of go, okay, did you just visit the sun? <laughs> like a little bit like that. He ended up he ended up being fine. But I've been around other people. Like another incident was like a home stripper pole, right? And I was there with I was oh, there man. with Roger Huerta, right? It's a house you should never buy. We're we'll talk about a haunted house. And <laughs> so we have your own pole. There's a oh, home stripper got, pole. Gotta go. And it was it was tied to the wall, and this girl gets on there, and she's swinging. She's a little bit bigger. Oh no! We're all around. We're all kind of laughing. Everybody's clothes. We're all just laughing, and 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 the pole goes like unhinges from the roof, and she's going timber from like ten feet up, oh, no. up inverted. Like it's gonna oh, no. be really bad. And literally everybody around the circle just looked like. <laughs> Damn, this is gonna be bad. And Roger just quickly, like, immediately moves over and like grabs the pole, like Whoa. superhero style, right? And that's when I realized, like, that's a different dude. That's yeah. a dude that when that totally random thing happens, he has the ability to act instead of just look around like all of us dummies. Like, damn, that's gonna hurt. Yeah, you that's know? a good point. That's hilarious. Well, Roger's the same guy that knocked out that fucking dude who punched that girl in Austin. Yeah. That, that was a giant, crazy giant cra football player. Giant football player. This is when Roger was fighting the UFC and he was he's fighting at 155 pounds. He's not a big guy. And this uh football player, who knows what the story was, walked up to some woman and punched her in the face and I don't punched know. Punched her in the back of the head. Yeah. What So what, they were coming out of a club and it was actually a club that we used to go to a lot. I just happened to be out of town that weekend, but we're coming out of the club and this girl like he gets the guy gets in a like a fight with one of like her boyfriends or whatever, and then she's well show like, the whole thing because he punches the girl in the head. Show yeah, the whole yeah. thing from the beginning. That's from the, it. That's the beginning. But no, you get a so a little bit of red there. There you go. Here it comes. Boom. Okay, watch this. Punches her right in the back of the head. Boom, and just flattens her, and then walks away. And everybody's like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. And this guy's huge. And look at Roger. Roger walks up to him. He's literally a hundred pounds lighter than him. <laughs> And, and Roger, I'm not kidding. And Roger starts talking to Roger him. Roger says at that point, you can't do that, man. <laughs> you can't do that, man. Wow. And so Roger walks up and decides, okay, I'm taking my shirt off, and takes his shirt off because he doesn't want the dude to be able to grab his shirt. Like, he's thinking strategically, Yeah. Like which is, like, way one step ahead. It's not like he's going to physically intimidate this guy. The guy's giant. And so Roger's standing in front of this guy, and the dude's big. And looks like somebody else tried to jump in too. Yeah, somebody else tried to jump in on both sides and stop him from fighting. The guy, that guy, runs, and then Roger corners him, corners him by uh, the truck, which you can't see going on right now. Corners him by the truck. The guy swings. Roger somehow gets him in a Muay Thai clinch and starts kneeing him in the head, 
and knees him in the head and then he gets him out cold and then stomps him (laughs) and then runs old old pride rule style and And this all happens in 15 20 seconds yeah maybe not even it was really quick like yeah the whole video is only two minutes and 28 seconds long and it became this viral gigantic hit whatever happened to that dude did he get in trouble for that um, I don't know. I don't think so. I know that the police knew, obviously, that Roger hit him, and they just basically shook his hand and were like, "Yeah, hey, all right, we understand," you know. But uh, I don't think anything ever happened to that dude. But that was fucking brutal. I mean, Horrible. he just went full, full overhand right to the back of that chick's head. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But but he's just that type of dude. He also saved somebody from drowning on the beach. Roger he's just, did. Yeah, he's just like finds himself in situations, and he acts, you know, whereas other people. You know, might freeze or might not. Well, he had a brutal upbringing, you know, and I think sometimes people that have overcome brutality when they're younger, they develop this ability to understand, like, oh, I've been here before. I know what this is all about. Mm -hmm. I know what this kind of chaos is. There's only one way out of this thing. You got to meet it head on. Whereas someone who's coddled, who grows up in, you know, a cushioned room, everything, everything's dull. There's no sharp edges. That, that person, when confronted with some horrific situation, like some giant steroided-up football player punches a girl in the back of the head, and you got to act, and that guy's 100 pounds bigger than you, and Roger just takes his shirt off. Yeah. <laughs> Roger's just like, well, I can't have him grab me. Yeah. That's the dude you don't want to fuck with, for yeah. sure. The yeah. unemotional dude. I really wish that, that he didn't have that falling out with the UFC. Yeah. People forget that Roger Huerta was the first guy to ever be on the cover of uh, Sports Illustrated for MMA. He was on the fucking cover of Sports Illustrated. He was being groomed as one of the top guys. But there was some sort of dis- dispute between him and the UFC. Who knows which side is correct? Who knows what happened? But he wound up leaving the UFC. and then mm-hmm. you know. He just won his last fight. Did to he? See that. Is he in one now? Is he fighting over in one so, FC? Yeah. yeah. One FC's got some real talent, man. You know, they've got Ben Askren over there. Mm-hmm. But I heard it's crazy. You know who's got some real talent right now? The Bellator welterweight division. Douglas Lima just knocked out Koroskov. You know, that guy who uh, fucked up, uh, um, uh, what the hell's his name? What he, He's beaten a few guys. Let me think. Korshkov, um What the fuck did he beat up? God damn it. What am I thinking of? Who? Give me his, uh, Korshkov's last few. I know he fought Benson Henderson. He beat Benson Henderson up when Benson came over to, um, to Bellator. And he fought as a welterweight for the first time. And then uh, Benson just fought. You got it? Oh, who, who, who? Wait a minute. Why does it say Douglas Lima twice? Douglas Lima is the opponent? Who is? Is this Korshkov? Yeah. Oh, he lost to Douglas Lima twice? Oh, he won the first one, lost <clears> the second oh, one. Oh, he won the first one because Kor- D- Lima had a fucked up knee. That's right. And then he beat Benson. And then Lima just crushed him in the rematch. Which fight am I thinking of, man? Again, I can't be- I can't believe I can't remember which fight it was. But the Benson Henderson one was a big one. Even though it was a decision, you could tell the difference in size was pretty yeah. significant. But then when Lima fought Korshkov, you could see Lima looked way bigger than Korshkov. So they and they've got Paul Daly. Okay, that's what it is. So Lima just I'm I'm getting all confused. Lima beat Paul Daly, who's super legit, and he beat him by decision and then just knocked out Korshkov. I for some reason I thought Lima or thought Daly had fought Korshkov. I fucked it up. But Daly's super legit. I mean, Daly's a scary fucking striker. Sure. So for Lima to beat him and to beat Benson Henderson, who's relatively undersized for the division, and then to knock out Korshkov like that, I mean, that was stunning shit. I think he's world class. And uh, 
Meanwhile, that guy was ragdolled by Ben Askren, who's the one FC champ. Ragdolled. Both mm-hmm. of them were. Koreshkov and Lima, both ragdolled by Askren. Askren's a motherfucker, dude. Yeah, his Wait wrestling's on another level. Who, when did he lose? When did uh, Douglas Lima lose to Askren? Put up Lima's record again. Because uh, he... Did, did I fuck that up? Back in April. Back in April? Uh, 2012. Yeah. 2012, yeah. See, Lima's had some uh, some serious uh, injuries. He's had, He had serious knee surgery. But uh, that was quite a few years ago. But Ben Askren did that to him. He did that to Koreshkov. He, he's done that to a lot of dudes. He gets a hold of those guys and just... They look like world beaters until he gets a hold of them. He mm-hmm. gets drags them. Lyman Good, he did it to Lyman Good, too. Same thing. Gets a hold of them, drags them to the ground, beats the fuck out of them. They can't get up. <laughs> it's just crazy. Yeah. And he, he's so relaxed. when he, I saw him do that to somebody. He's, like, riding them like a bull. Yeah. Like, waving to the crowd. People are booing. He doesn't care. <laughs> he give a fuck. You know, he doesn't give a fuck. It's crazy. I mean, I, I, it's one of my most uh, perplexing puzzles in MMA. But he fought... When he fought in um, Bellator, when uh, Jay Heron went over there, Jay Heron gave him a hell of a fight. And Jay Heron, who was a very good fighter, who didn't do so good in the UFC, but was really talented, and then went over and had this fight with uh, Askren in Bellator. I mean, Jay Heron was, um, you know, a good wrestler with a little bit better crisper striking than Askren. Imagine keeping on the feet a lot. And Askren had a real problem with that. So that was one of those things where I was like, man, I want to see him against world-class fighters who know how to stuff that takedown, yeah. against a real good wrestler who knows how to stuff the takedown, who's his size. But Michael Chandler just beat uh, um, Benson Henderson, too. Mm-hmm. Like They've got real talent over there now. No doubt. But it's still one of those things where nobody watches it. It's like you look at the ratings. It's like they're lucky they get a few hundred thousand. Well, it's the human. It's the human drama that people love. You know, the, and the bigger that personality, the more it's a celebrity, the more interested you are in the fight. You know, like you get to understand this character that Conor McGregor is, and it's part of the compelling nature of watching mm-hmm. his fight. Like the personality, people want to identify with it. It's like some. I think it's the difference between a good epic movie and a shitty epic movie. Like a good epic movie. You fall in love with the characters before the fucked up stuff happens that propels them on their hero's journey. Yeah. Right? You know, you can't just go straight out of the gate and show that that whole backstory happen and then he's all of a sudden kicking ass. Like you want to be emotionally invested. And then every time they're swinging a, you know, swinging a sword or every time you're watching them punch and take down, you're way more Im- invested. And I think boxing did that with 24 7. The UFC's done that with all of their embedded. And I think that's just something that they do better than anybody else. They get you emotionally invested into the fighter. And then when you're there, you know, that's when that's when you really want to watch. There's also those epic personalities, those mega personalities that come around around every few generations or once a generation or a couple times a generation, I should probably say. Like the Tysons or the Sugar Ray Leonards or the people that people are just so compelled to watch. Yeah. And Connor's just one of those people. If he was in boxing and having the same sort of success, he would be just as big. He'd be gigantic. Sure. Yeah, you I know, mean, if Triple G had his personality. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know? Oh, my God. I mean, Jesus Christ. But Triple G's not doing things the way Connor's doing things. Not even close. Because Connor has those little gloves on, and, you know, he's fighting MMA. He's he's landing these one shots, like, that just stun guys and have them rocked, and he's putting them away like he's got lead in his hands. It's sort of a different thing. Like, you see his fight with Jose Aldo. You very rarely see that happen 13 seconds in a world championship boxing match where someone connects with one shot and flatlines somebody. 
that's in the realm of MMA almost exclusively in early fights like that. Mm -hmm. It's so rare that in a championship fight, someone knocks someone dead in 13 seconds. But in the UFC, it can happen all the time. I mean, it just fucking happens. There's a lot less armor on that button, <laughs> on, the, mm. on the lights out button. Yeah. A lot less padding in there. A lot harder to defend, too. It's easier to defend with those big gloves. Yeah. There's so much going on with big gloves versus small gloves. You see guys that have devoted their whole life to big glove defense, and then they come in and the small gloves just don't offer the same sort of protection. Yeah, even look at Nikki Holskin's main defense. You mm -hmm. know, he gets in that kind of turtle pose yep. where he pretty much is covering everything that's super important, mm -hmm. you know, in his head with his gloves and forearms. And yep. can't do that with the little gloves. No, you can't. But see, that's one of the th cool things about watching a guy like Holskin is that he can do that. Like with yeah. the big gloves, you're like, oh, look what you can do here. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. like, you can't hit that guy. Well, he, uh, did you ever see his fight with Raymond Daniels? Two fights. Uh huh. Yep. Yeah. He walks him down, man. Just beats the legs up, walks him down, starts beating the fuck out of him. Yeah. Just absorbs those shots, keeps chop, chop, chopping away. He's a bad motherfucker, dude. There's a bunch of those guys now. I just, uh, I just hope that it gets the attention that it deserves because these guys are, you know, they're really risking their health in such a dramatic way. Sure. Well, Whitney's working for Glory now. I saw. Yeah. Holla. Shout dude. out to at Miss Two Jits. I saw that, dude. Job. I was going, like, this she's is going to Germany. We were in, um, we were in here, and Joe Schilling and Eve Edwards and I did a Glory fight companion. Yeah. And we're like, oh shit, look at what. <laughs> Interview motherfuckers. Does she like it? Yeah, she likes it. Yeah. It's um, I, I you know, it's. I, for some reason, I don't know what the reason is, but for some reason, it's just never completely like took root in America. But mm -hmm. it's not because of the talent. I think it's again, you got to tell those stories. You know, that's what people want. People, you need to have invest way more in the in the pre-fight, you know, video crew that's putting out these videos or get a reality TV show. So I think that's a genius thing that the UFC did because you're exposing people to the personality of these characters and then when you watch them fight, you care. Right. You know, that's the fucking missing piece. It's not I think they're always looking at how can we improve the actual sport. You got to improve, you know, the people's access inside these combatants and I think that's the that's the key. You know, another thing, it doesn't seem like there's a number like a venue that is anything even remotely like the venues that used to exist just like 10 years ago as far as like putting a fight on Showtime or putting a fight on HBO or putting a fight on NBC seems like 10 20 years ago you could have put Muay Thai on NBC at nine o'clock at night at some crazy Muay Thai night and people would have got hooked like whoa this is nuts but now it seems like there's so many options for entertainment mm -hmm. It's really difficult to like lock in a substantial group of people just by putting something on a certain time of night. Like they have so many choices. Yeah. There's almost too many choices. We're almost like overrun with possibilities to stare into the looking glass and get enchanted. You know? It's true. And but I think ultimately that's our salvation. You know, you get all of the choices and then then you can really decide what you want, you know. I think we're gonna be robots. <laughs> that's what I think. Cool. I really Conscious do. robots. We're that anyways. You know, I think that's the cool part about Westworld is it's showing that, like, where is robot, where is consciousness, at what level. And I think we're just a more complicated version of that. You know? Yeah, man, don't spoil the alert. I haven't seen the last episode. Yeah, I haven't oh, seen it Oh, the last either. one's next week. The last, okay. I've seen all of them up till now. I'm caught up. But oh. a lot of people who are listening aren't. Yeah. Yeah. I think before that ever happens, before there's a place where you can go and interact with robots, you're going to be one. I think it's going to be way more likely that, 
You're going to take people that have been injured, like soldiers that have lost a, a limb in a war. They're going to replace them with better limbs. Then the first person's going to offer to get their limbs cut off. It's probably going to be someone with a disease where the limbs don't work so well. They get them cut off, and then they win the Olympics. They start jumping over buildings and shit. And next thing you know, everybody's like, why don't I have these regular legs? And then one day, it's going to get to a point where you can take your whole brain, take that brain, stick it in a fucking other body. I think it's not necessarily the brain. I think it's whatever that that thing that we call consciousness. Maybe that originates from the brain. Maybe it's something something separate. But the transfer of consciousness, that's that's one of those archetypal stories, like a religious story, the the shapeshifter. Like you find yeah. in so many cultures, someone who can transfer their consciousness to another vehicle. I think that's definitely going to happen. Like we're going to be able to transfer our consciousness into other things that can hold that level of complexity. You know, like as long as it can hold that level of complexity, like I think trying to transfer our consciousness into a stink bug would be really challenging. Obviously, the brain and how that works, it's too, it's putting something that's too big into something too little. But if, if something is of, you know, similar complexity, I think we could transfer our consciousness into there. We just got to figure out what consciousness is, how, you know, how we measure it somewhere in between the spaces of quantum physics, or maybe that's the frontier. Maybe it's somewhere, but how we transfer that. I think we'll ultimately figure out, and I think we know it, and I think that's why it's in all these stories. The they're works. Have, yeah, they're going to have conversations with people. They say, hey, man, don't worry about it. We made a copy of your brain, so if it doesn't work, we'll just put you back in your old body. Yeah. Like, oh, cool, you made a copy. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's a copy from November 21st, 2016. Do not worry. Everything from here back, you're not going to remember anything from today, but it's no big deal, man. You're going to lose a couple of days of shit going on. You catch up, get on your Twitter. Or, or the, the consciousness just, subjects. just rides and it goes out of body for a little while, stays current, and then just drops back in. Well, now you're talking crazy. <laughs> I don't know why you just got to take it to the next level. <laughs> I just feel like we're going to come to a point where we figure out how to express ourselves outside of language. This is what I believe. I believe that the intention, like pure intention, we're going to be able to broadcast that through some form of third-party software, hardware solution, whatever it is. Like, they'll be able to figure out what the actual intention of a thought is and transmit that. And so instead of a sentence, it'll be a series of thoughts that you can transfer the intention where you know it without language. You don't have to have a comprehension of German to be able to communicate with a person from Germany because you'll be able to see whatever they're thinking in pure intent. Or feel it or know it or whatever the fuck it is. And that's so much closer to truth than language, which is always just an approximation. Right. It's just a symbol for an idea. Whereas if you could express in pure intent, you know, like just the feeling of it. And I think that's also what you experience sometimes in, in the psychedelic state. You feel what you would think is God and you can't fucking describe it. All of the words fail. Nothing that makes sense when you're actually talking about it, but you feel it and the intent of that thing is there. And then you just approximate it and approximate it until it almost gets ridiculous. And it is ridiculous because you can't put that into words, you know, but you feel that. And then yeah. And the only way you really have a reference is if you experienced it as well. Like you're saying this and I'm like, I'm listening to you say this and I agree with you. And then I'm like, man, how would I describe it any differently to somebody? And I'm like, well, let's, let's see what we got here for tools. Oh, yeah. they don't exist. Yeah. There's no tools in the toolbox that allow you to explain like a really heavy duty breakthrough DMT trip. They don't exist. Like you can try sure. to approximate it, but you saying it, I register it. But it's only because I have what I believe to be a similar experience to what you've experienced. And even mm -hmm. that is just guesswork. 
Yeah. And I'm assuming you're explaining you're explaining to me what went down when you had it, and I'm like, well, that sounds a lot like <laughs> how I would clumsily try to explain my experience. Exactly. But we don't know. And we don't know. We don't know. And that's why we should go out and look for yourself. You know, feel these things, see these things, experience these things. But when you, you see Burning Man, when you go to a place like Burning Man, you see what's possible. I mean, obviously I haven't been, but you've been a few times. When you see what's possible, when these fucking freaks all get together and rewrite the rules and go crazy, it gives you a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. It really does. Because it, it makes you realize, like, these are a lot of people with normal people around us. And yet they're choosing in this one moment to behave in this stark contrast to everyday culture and society but there's no litter people are friendly with each other they're giving away food like they're only doing it for short bursts you know they're doing it for a week at a time once a year but they're doing it they're still doing it and they didn't do it 30 years ago they didn't do it 50 years ago they're doing it now and they're doing it in one spot but we're talking about it and people are starting to get together and they go, well, let's, we can do this more often. Like, we can do something similar to this more often. Yeah, it proves the concept. Yeah. Proves, it changes your view of, of how an interaction with a stranger could be. It, not somebody who's trying to take something from you and fuck, you, fuck up your energy or whatever. Like, you're all in it together in some weird way. And obviously there's shitheads of Burning Man too. But you get the overwhelming consensus that you're all in it together. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's a cool, cool feeling. It just transcends these kind of very solipsistic i mean i'm in for myself these are my things this is my fortress that i build and you just collapse all that and and surrender to a much much happier state and that's part of the magic i mean isn't that one of the more genuine problems with any sort of egalitarian or 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 altruistic vision is that people are not going to reciprocate like Mm. you know like if you could find a like-minded group of people where instead of the mob mentality going fucking crazy and grabbing swords and chopping each up each other out there's the mob mentality of peace and love we're all just sort of everybody around you sort of adopted this thing in a really radical way that we're in fucking goggles and riding bikes everywhere and everything's lit up with solar power and you're like whoa these people are going deep with this like everybody's embraced this so they're so all in every fucking chip is on the table when you're out there that it reinforces this different and very peculiar sort of mob mentality that's psychedelic driven and, and happy mm-hmm. you know and that that's possible too like while we're watching mass rape in india you hear about these horrible instances where these men rape women on trains like what the fuck is going on over there while that's happening burning man's happening yeah it's like there's another there's another sort of mob consciousness that can erupt when it's considered carefully applied ethically morally sensitively with an open heart like yep. that can be done too like there's a bunch of different states that can yeah, be achieved yeah you you apply to you know a human goes into an environment with love and radical acceptance true in 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 the truest sense you're going to more adapt to that whereas you get in these systems of fear and control you know you're going to adapt to that and i think anybody that we encounter we have that choice of what we're going to give back to them and turn that tide and maybe it won't be reciprocated but it can also stop the it can stop that trend. So if someone really, you know, if they do something fucked up, you know, and you can't prevent it and you have to accept it and move on, accept that with love. Show that person love and not this desire for justice and revenge, and you'll start to switch the pattern. You know, yeah. you'll, that's the only thing that ends the cycle. The only thing that ends the cycle ultimately is love. Like violence, you know, you get something violent to you, then you do something violent to them, then you do something violent to you. And it continues to go until one person just holds like, 
man, I see your pain. I see where you're coming from. I see you as me. You know, I'm sorry you've been driven to that state. I'm going to love you no matter what. And then all of a sudden that person's like, what the fuck? And then it can end that cycle. And I think that's what we got to do in, in society. That's what we got to do, the right and the left. Instead of continually shooting these barbs at each other, at some point the conscious people have to say, like, you know, whatever you say, I hear you. I don't necessarily agree. Here's my point of view, but I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you as if you were me. And then that ultimately ends it. But as long as we're just lobbing fucking hand grenades at each other, what a fuck. Sounds like a bunch of hippie bullshit that Trump's going to make illegal. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking he's throwing people in jail for burning the flag. We're taking it old school again, folks. <clears throat> old school. You know, uh, the fake tan that he uses is uh, from, uh, he takes uh, Native American graves and he, uh, <laughs> he takes the soil. And that's what they use for the fake tan. It's the only way to get it, that per perfect hue. But you can't get it too close to your eyes, hence the raccoon look. <laughs> but it empowers you. It gives you energy. That's such a great supervillain move. <laughs> he just needs to move Trump Tower to an inactive <laughs> volcano. Move <laughs> Trump Tower to an Indian burial site. Put a Trump Tower up right where the Dakota Pipeline is being built. Just one Trump Tower and just show, for all the workers. And just show Redskins games all yeah. the time. <laughs> That's wearing a red hat. Make yeah. America great again. Yeah, what the fuck, man. Hmm? Strange times. Strange times, but beautiful times. They're the best times. They are. And the more we realize they're the best times, the more we're going to be okay. Like right now. Yeah, it is entirely possible we might get hit by an asteroid the size of China. It is entirely possible. They're out there. There's giant chunks of... We, the, the world, rather, was at one point in time hit with another planet. Mm -hmm. That's established. That's what they believe. They believe the moon was created when the Earth literally collided with another fucking planet. That it's like it's not happening right now though. So <laughs> right now, just be nice to each other and have some fucking fun. Totally. Let, let's go champ. <laughs> yeah, man. We can always figure out shit to worry about. We can figure out all of these things to stress us out. It's our job, it's our relationship, it's the fucking meteor. If as long as you enjoy the now, you're not gonna regret it. If I go back and talk to my younger self, like, hey, young Aubrey, if I could tell you one fucking thing, it's to stress less. Like, yeah, think about the possibilities, but then let it go. Like, enjoy your time, because all there is is the enjoyment of time. Mm. You know, all of these goals you have, they're all false summits. Like, enjoy the whole process all the way through. Enjoy till that last moment where the fucking Chinese-sized asteroid smashes. And enjoy up to that last minute, and, and you won't have any regrets. Yeah, if you can prevent it, do that. But if you can't do anything, don't fucking stress. Relax. Yeah, and then even realize that, like, goals... They actually help you be happy, as weird as it seems. Like achieving goals and going after things and showing yourself that through discipline and focus, you can achieve these weird creative ventures, take things to new places. Yeah, it's the going for the feel goal. Feel better. It's the going for the goal yeah. that's the best part. It's not the actual achievement of that goal makes you feel suddenly different. It's that you're striving for it, making progress, and then you hit it, and there's that, of course, that satisfaction, but then you set another goal. Yeah. You know, and then you set another goal. And just know that you'll constantly be setting goals. So if at no point you're ever happy unless you're achieving the goal, you're only going to be happy a fractional part of time. Unless Enjoy you're Boris process. with that Transformer watch getting his dick sucked over the Atlantic. <laughs> do, 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 do. He probably has those cheesy limo lights inside of his jet where they change colors all the time. It's like purple, green, red, yellow. And he's in there with a bottle of Stoli. 
activate and eagle feather. Super Viagra and gorge dick. Where he's got so much Viagra in his system, his ears are ringing. <laughs> he hasn't breathed through his <laughs> nose in days. He can't breathe. He uses coke to open up his nose <laughs> so that he can breathe out of his nose while his dick is hard as titanium. Anything else? Nope. Shan this? Good for me. Um, you want to talk about your ayahuasca experience, or how long would that take? I mean, that's a it's a good 15-minute story. Fuck it, man. People are driving right now. They're like, <laughs> keep going, keep going. Oh, um, so man. So let's, let's, let's set this up. Last time I talked to you, after you had an ayahuasca experience, you were like, dude, I think I'm done. Yeah. I think I'm done. Yeah. I thought no I was done. He's like, I don't, I think uh, I'm good. Maybe some little DMT trips here and there, but I think I'm done. And then, next thing I know, you're off to the fucking jungle again. <laughs> Let's go, champ. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's go, champ. Exactly. What happened? Well, one of the things that I enjoy is taking people who haven't experienced it and going there with them. Going mm. like, there's no better rite of passage bonding experience. So this time, I just brought all of my homies, like everybody in my inner circle that I loved that wanted to go. You know, we all went, and um, so. For me, it's a lot about that kind of rite of passage experience. I still really like and appreciate the plants, and I learn a ton. And I sometimes underestimate how much more I have to learn from the plants, for sure. And I think so is a combination of that. Um, so anyway, set up this trip. Everybody I know, we're going to do ayahuasca. We're meeting Don Howard, who's, you know, we've done two documentaries with him now. The latest ayahuasca documentary is, is with him as well. Awesome guy. He's like Gandalf the White Wizard, so we're setting that up. But I knew this one was going to get interesting because a month, like about a month before, sometime in August, I wake up in the middle of the night. We're going in September. I wake up in the middle of the night and um, from a dream. And in this dream, I look over and to my left side, I see this demon head and this gnarly looking demon head, Nosferatu looking thing. And he's just looking away. And in my dream, he looks at me, stares at me dead in the eye and goes, I'm going to kill you on September 23rd. Oh, shit. Like super fucking specific, right? So I wake up and I'm a little freaked out. I was like, damn, that was specific. So I go to my, and I knew my Peru trip was over that time. I go to the calendar of events, the itinerary, and that night is the night we're drinking ayahuasca for the first time because we're doing Wachuma afterwards. So September 23rd was the night we're doing ayahuasca. And so did you start thinking your mind was fucking with you? Like for sure, like this is just your brain yeah. setting yourself up for a fall? Yeah, I Let's played out. Champ. I played out all the scenarios, right? And I try to like, what was that? Maybe it's a metaphor. Maybe hopefully it wasn't for real. Hopefully, you know. Right. But and you know, I maybe I I might have known that date in my head. So I'm not trying to think this is supernatural. It's all kind of metaphor, but it was very specific. So by the time we get out there, I knew that I had this feeling like, man, some shit's gonna come up here because that was like something's in my psyche that's incredibly specific about Whoa. this. So we're going into ceremony, and one thing I like to do to prepare for ceremony, and I do this for the whole group, is I do a meditation where it anchors them to their consciousness, and I put that consciousness in their heart, right? Because so, the head can get really squirrely, and you can get lost in belief and different ideas and thoughts. And if you identify yourself as consciousness, which I, I tell them to symbolize as a brilliant piece of white light in your heart, and you symbolize that and you imagine that, that there that's an anchor that's like your anchor that's your anchor to home and then you know i i talked to him how when you imagine that there then you can imagine it actually showing up atomically like in in the rules of quantum physics the observer effect you observe it then it's connected to yourself all your cells connected to all things in space connected to the you know to the one source 
um, of consciousness, you know, the collective consciousness, that thing. And it just kind of anchors you and keeps you in this feeling of safe. So whatever squirrely thing is happening in your mind, you do that. But this is important for the story that I'm, that I'm setting up because, you know, so I do that meditation and that's where I go into these psychedelic experiences, anchored to my heart, connected to the cosmos, connected, you know, to the infinite through that. And it's a very kind of comforting, um, comforting meditation to do. So I'm going through and um, I take the medicine and right off the bat, it's like super, you know, it's super chill. Like I'm seeing beautiful scenes like flowers, these flowers of light. And I get this message like, hey, man, it's, this, is, this one's going to be easy. And I was like, oh, OK, cool. We're, and it was like, we're just going to fix a few things. So I felt like what Whoa. feels like all these little doctors of light, the doctorcitos, you know, these little light beings like going through my body and start fixing little different areas, fixing little parts in my head, and they're fixing little parts here. And meanwhile, my mind is being distracted with flowers and butterflies, and it's super chill. The only memorable vision I had was I go to this shrine in this jungle, and I see this giant monkey-human hybrid that's super happy. And it's like, there's just butterflies and everything going around, and then inscripted in stone, it says, we are the pleasure monkeys. And that's what I've been, I've been using that Whoa. word today. And it's this like really cool thing, like, oh yeah, we are pleasure monkeys. We're here to enjoy all of the best shit that we can. And I start thinking about, you know, the foods and the people and the camaraderie and everything around me, super positive. Meanwhile, the light's going through my body and fixing it. And then, you know, as this really idyllic thing, and I think we're an hour and a half in, I'm like, fucking, we're good. Like whatever this demon was, not gonna worry about it, it's fine. And then right to my left, I see, this gnarly looking golem, Lord of the Rings looking fucking my precious Nosferatu demon guy. And he looks at me and, and I was like, you know, one of the practices that I have is anchoring to that point in my heart. You know, I, I, you know, I encourage the feeling of invincibility, like it can't be harmed. You know, this is your consciousness. It's this peace in your heart. It can't be harmed. And I see this demon and it looks at me and then it jumps, jumps towards me and it starts biting my neck. Whoa. In my vision, right? So this gnarly looking demon is biting my, my neck and my vision. No. It's all like it's all in this like a movie of me being played out, right? Are but, you just going with but this? But the emotion Do at you this feel point ratcheted up. Right. So at this point, you know, I know it's eating in my you know, in that vision. It's eating through my neck. And I see what its aim is. And it's aiming to eat through my neck and eat that thing in my heart, the white light in my heart that I've been meditating about. Like that's what it wants. So in, in what I thought was this like heroic act of invincibility, I was like, go ahead, man. You want that thing? Go ahead. Eat all the way through me. Get that thing. It's fine. You know, <laughs> instead of because I've learned in, in a lot of these practices, the more you resist these things, the more aggressive they become and the harder you just get in this this dance. So the more you surrender generally, the better off you are. So it's like, oh, you want to eat that thing? Go for it. So it goes through, eats through my neck, through my chest. And it grabs a hold of that piece of white light in my heart, snatches it. And right at that moment, I've never felt more fear. I feel like I got shot with a bullet. Like I felt like I went dead, completely dead. And fear just shot through my entire body. And I was like, oh, fuck. I just gave this demon my consciousness. I just gave this demon my soul. And I let him have it. It's like all the fucking vampire movies. Like, they can't come in unless you give them permission. Then you give them permission. And all of these fucking thoughts are going through my head. And meanwhile, I felt completely dead, like hollow from the inside. Fear was at like a thousand percent. And then the ikaros of the shaman start getting more intense. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm fucked. So I start negotiating with this Nosferatu demon guy. 
And I was like, man, I'd really like to get my piece back. Like, you mind giving it back? Like, you know, it's all good. I understand you have your place, you know, for polarity to exist. There needs to be the dark. There needs to be the light. You know, it's all good, man. We're all on the same team. Ultimately, we're all, you know, consciousness in the cosmos. He's having none of it. Right. And then finally, he's he talking to you. He's yeah, he's sometimes talking back and sometimes just kind of like mocking me, really, like kind of laughing. And then he goes, here you go. And he gives me something. And I greedily like like a hungry, like a hungry child, like grab it and I stuff it in my heart. And it was this dead piece of rock, like a dead stone. And it's just this demon's just laughing at me. <laughs> I have your heart and watch where I'm going. And he goes and he takes it and I'm following him and he, and, you know, through this kind of like wormhole thing and he takes it and I see who he's giving it to. And then I go, oh, fuck, because he's giving it to the demon of all demons. And this is very archetypal and I'm not religious, but these archetypes are coming through in this kind of, you know, demon, demon type of, type of sense. But anyways, this demon that he gives it to, I can only call the world crusher because literally he's of the size where I'm seeing him hold planets and crushing them into dust in his hands. And he's just moving the cosmos, these giant horns made of this deep, dark, black and red smoke and just laughing in the ecstasy of destruction as he takes galaxies and he rips them apart, like the ultimate black hole of destruction and evil. And I go, fuck, like that guy's got my heart piece now, like the little demon gave it to that thing so i'm thinking like what the fuck do i do i can't even communicate with this demon world crusher like there's no way there's no way i can even talk to him he's too big so i try to like well maybe i can blow myself up you know like maybe i can get bigger thinking like video game style like that's gonna work like maybe if i fucking get bigger then we can talk and negotiate and i'll be on his level totally doesn't work i can't get even near the size of him in my vision so i'm like fuck what the fuck do i do like what am i gonna fucking do here and <laughs> and i get the idea i was like man i can't fight this thing there's no way but you know understanding that uh, again that the consciousness and, and the cosmos needs dark and light i understand the value of the polarity of that something that dark you know i understand that that's necessary it's like man i gotta send this thing love so i go and i imagine floating up to its head and right between its eyes i kissed him on the forehead <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I know it sounds weird. And for a moment, I see his eyes go googly eyes, like the emoji heart thing, where hearts appear in, ah. the, in the world crusher's eyes. And wow. it was really kind of cartoony. And um, for that moment, he relinquishes and he's like, you know, I can give this back to you, but we never took it. No one can take that piece of your heart. It's yours. It, you know, it's impossible to steal unless you believe it can steal. And it was just like beautiful wisdom. And I was like, oh, my God, thank God. But I was still like shaken up by that, you know, I was still mm. kind of fucked up, but that move worked. And in that moment where his eyes were all googly hearts, he's like, man, we can't take that from you. That's yours. So I had this renewed sense of confidence. And so I started kind of going, it was kind of more peaceful then. The Icaros seemed to be following my trip, died down. I'm going through about all the relations in my life and the different, you know, kind of doing the general work you do on ayahuasca. And I get to um, a member of my family who's really you know, suffering from some mental illness that is, is really dark, like a dark mental illness. And I think that now maybe the world crusher is my friend. So I get the feeling the world crusher has, you know, that element of darkness is in him. So I think in my imagination and, and kind of call back on that, on that being. And immediately it comes up, but in a different shape, like a giant fucking sea serpent. And it's wrapping these tentacles around my body, like a Leviathan from the deep. And, and, and I'm like, whoa, I was like, 
Um, what do you think about maybe letting, you know, this, this family member, what do you think about letting him go? And he's like, you want his soul? I'll make a trade, your soul for his. And I was like, fuck. Fuck that. Fuck that, right? So, <laughs> so at that point, I was like, man. And then I was like, I don't think I can make that trade. He's like, coward. You wouldn't do that for someone you love. You're a coward. I thought you said you were invincible. And he starts mocking me. Clearly not my homie. Like, clearly take the world crusher, takes his job seriously. So eventually I have to go like, you know what? That's between you and him. I can't step in there. Like, there's nothing that I can do for you. So I just had to let it go. And I let him go, not making that proverbial deal. And again, I don't think this is like really happening. This could just be right. archetype, right? Of course. But so anyways, from there, I was like, fuck, man, this has turned super dark. Like, can I get some help? Like, and since the archetype was demons, I was like, can I get a Jesus in here or something? Like some kind of light and nothing light would come. Although I did get a cool vision of like Jesus meeting the world crusher. And I was like, ooh, this is going to be squared, like showdown, UFC ultimate Jesus versus the world crusher. And immediately they turned super gay and they started making out with each other and having sex. Jesus Whoa. and the world crusher started like having sex with each other. And it was so, it was the wildest vision because it was this like the ultimate love affair, like the two polarities of the cosmos, like all of the love and forgiveness and all of the power Who was the and top? destruction. The fucking darkness was the top. The darkness was banging Jesus? Yeah, Jesus would turn. He was man, woman. It was like super. He could be whatever he wanted. But they were dancing in this like passionate love affair, which was like all creation. So like, Jesus became man and woman? Jesus was man, things? woman. He was just, it was just like love versus power and darkness and destruction. Creation versus destruction. Like two, the two polarities dancing, but expressed as the world crusher, this devil-like creature, and then Jesus you know, which started as kind of Jesus-y and then went into woman and then went into man, whatever. It was, at least gave me a chuckle. And it was like a moment of like relief from this really fucking heavy trip. But I still wasn't getting any personal interaction from anything on the light side, you know? And so I'm still like kind of a little shaken up, especially after, you know, the world crusher called me a coward and I couldn't help, you know, this person in my family. And it's like, fuck. Um, so then I see this, I'm, I keep trying to reach out to like the helpers, like something from the light. And I get this very faint message. You know, sometimes the visions are super clear and sometimes they're faint. It feels like you're, you're kind of reaching for it, but I'll go with it. I'll use my imagination as a bridge. So I kind of go with it. It's like, here, we have this thing for you. And put it in your heart. It'll give you extra, you know, it'll be what you're looking for. And it's this brilliant ruby-like red stone, right? Mm. This brilliant ruby stone. And I was like, oh, wow, that's beautiful. Like, I always imagine the thing in my heart being white, but red, all right, it's cool. I put it in my chest and then instantly I could feel myself getting this like hunger for power Whoa. and feeling like the world crusher. Like I wanted to destroy and manipulate. And I was like, oh shit, that's not the thing. You know, that's not, that wasn't a real gift. That was getting tricked again. So I pull this thing out of my heart and for sure, like I can just feel the evil emanating from it. Right. And I can hear the distant laughter of the world crusher. Like, ha ha ha, fooled you again. You accepted this stone. And so I have this ruby stone in my vision. I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do with this? Right? So I have this place that I've developed in my meditation. It's like a little happy, it's like my happy place, right? It's a place I go and I imagine it in my mind. It's like my happy place. So I was like, all right, I'm going to put my stone in my happy place and I'm going to leave it there in my, in my vision. Well, I put it there in the happy place and it turns to fucking like swamp and bog and everything. All the trees are withering like you see in one of those fantasy movies where the darkness anchors into a place and all the life dies around. And I was like, 
fuck, man, I can't put it there. It's going to destroy this, this world I created. It's like I bring it back, and I was like, I hear this voice, like, just put it in your heart. You can hold it. You're strong enough to hold it. So like, okay, yeah, maybe my heart's the only place I can put it. It's the only way it's going to be safe. <laughs> put it back in there. Bad idea, obviously. That was another trick. But I'm really getting shaken here because I keep getting fucking tricked, and I keep not knowing what my mind is telling me that's helpful or whether it's coming from something else. So eventually I, like, move it out of my body, and I'm looking at it, and I was like, fuck, the only way that I can get rid of this is to dissolve it evenly across the entire spectrum of creation, right? Take this and dissolve it into the all so that the entire game, all of good, all of bad, everything can hold this amount of evil. It's too concentrated for any one thing to hold. I got to dissolve it. And I tried that move with my imagination and it worked. Boom. And the red stone dissolves and then all of creation holds that darkness and that power. And I'm sitting there, and I just, at this point, just fucking surrender. Like, I've just been totally getting my ass kicked, you know, for the majority of this trip. And especially just having been tricked, and and I'm just kind of like in a state of surrender. And at that point, I feel like kind of like Iron Man style. I feel this, like, breastplate, like, come slap onto my chest, and it has this really beautiful fire opal stone. And this thing, this helmet, come on my head, bink, and this helmet comes, and it has this other brilliant white light and I feel wings shoot out from my back right and <laughs> it's obviously it's ayahuasca it's shit's crazy and and I'm flying in the air and there's a bunch of like eagles and other birds and it's all like peaceful and all good and it was like all of the allies like all of the good guys all the good team kind of came through and they were flying over this world that was dark and fires and pollution and chaos and they were just bringing this like fresh air of like white light and I was just cruising and so for the last 30 minutes of the trip I was just literally like flapping my wings in the vision just kind of cruising over the world with all my eagle homies and and it was fucking one of the gnarliest obviously experiences I've ever had no doubt that's why it's illegal (laughs) but your speech is going to be used in the senate they're going to get together with congress they're going to play this speech back. This is a successful guy, folks. Look what he's doing. Yeah. Goes down to the goddamn jungle, <laughs> fighting world crushers, and Jesus is gay. Do you want Jesus <laughs> to be gay? You want that? Oh, Jesus uh, can be a woman. Jesus can be a man. He can be a woman. He's gender fluid. <laughs> yep. Wow. It's and, intense. And again, it's. I think the lesson, necess- it's really just about that was the type of resistance that could summon the very best out of me. You know, the move to move to show the world crusher love, the move to, you know, all of the moves that I had to make, I was only able to learn about myself from the extreme pressure of that vision. And that's one of the beautiful parts of the ayahuasca vision. It tends to give you like just enough that if you show up with your best and you, and you choose, you know, choose love and you choose the, the things that are going to bring out the best outcome, um, you'll make it through. But it, but it brings you to that very fucking brink where it feels like, man, you know, the stakes are really, really high. It's interesting because I think stories like that and experiences like yours, although you've got to go somewhere to experience them legally, the, those stories are what people are going to rely. That's like almost like a road map of the potential experiences that people are going to come back with and go, dude, dude, look what he's saying about this. Do you want to do you want to go there? Do you want to go? There? How do we get there? You got to go over the mountain, you go over the mountain and meet the world crusher. Fuck, man. Okay, he definitely came back. Yeah, he's back, man. He's in Austin. He's hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> like, one day, all this stuff is going to be legal, and one day, 
all sorts of psychedelic experiences, whether it's mescaline or fucking mushrooms, whatever, they're all going to be really commonplace. Mm -hmm. They're going to be as commonplace as going to get a massage or as commonplace as, you know, taking a yoga class. It's just right now we're in a weird place where someone like you telling that story seems like a crazy person. Yeah. You know, even talking to me who's experienced a bunch of shit, you know, and I've experienced a bunch of shit with you. I mean, I know you're not, I mean, you're not crazy. You're just relaying this very odd thing that very few people are ever going to be able to relate to right now. But one day, one day it'll be real common. And I think it's more common now. I think when you, you saying this now, way more common. Do you talk about ayahuasca and people understand what you're saying than just 10, 15 years ago? Yeah. You know? Oh, no doubt. Because people have had similar experiences of reference. I mean, I think the way that a lot of people experience this is in archetypes that you learn about and there's a different character in the story you know which is something you can learn from like the harry potter movies like uh like jordan was talking about you know you can learn from those archetypes but it's different when you know you get a chance to play as the main character yeah you know playing as the main character gives you a whole different series of lessons like none of these themes that came up you know, our original themes. These are all deep archetypes. Even fucking the Lord of the Ring, like the stone. Mm-hmm. It was a stone of such evil. How does it be destroyed? It destroyed in the fire from whence it came, right? All of creation created and concentrated, and it was dissolved in that. I didn't think about it then, but I could see the analogies. You see the um, the deal with the devil, you know, that, that I'll trade my soul for this one. You mm-hmm. see these archetypal themes, but, you know, I can watch as many Faust plays as I want, I'm never going to feel what that feels like right. until I have the devil mocking me for being a coward for not being willing to make that deal, you know. And then you understand these certain, these certain things in a much much deeper way, and and that's that's I think the value. It just puts you up in this situation where you're you have stake in the game and you have choices to make, and that's where you get the real value. I think Roger Huerta would have put that world crusher in a tie clinch, <laughs> slammed some sure. knees right into his for fucking sure. stupid face. For sure. And that's part of it. You know, some of the shamans, that's their move, right? They're constantly trying to get mastery and dominion over all of these things. Wow. I just find that the more you try and fight with them, the more they just love it. The, like, whatever thing you're trying to fight, whatever darkness you're trying to fight, the more you fight with them, they're just like, fuck yeah, bring it on. This is what I do. You're in my house now, bitch. You know, like, you're trying to wrestle with Ben Askren. Like, they got the drop on you. But the minute you change the game and recognize them as an important part and send them love, that's when the conflict ends. One day, ladies and gentlemen, you too <laughs> will be able to go to your local ayahuasca center and partake. I mean, it's already been approved by um, the Supreme Court for a couple different churches, two different churches, I believe, right? Yeah. In New Church Mexico. Church of Santa Daime and uh, uh, UDV. Yeah. And they are legally allowed to serve super high potency ayahuasca. Yep. Rick Strassman went over there and did it with him. He said it was incredible. They're all wearing like golf all, shirts. All wearing white. You have to <laughs> sit up, sit down, talk to do different things. Yeah, it's all coming. You know, whether it's religious or whether it's medical or whether it's, I think the plants are going to show up when humans need the help the most. And I think that's that's the spot we're in. And, you know, ayahuasca, it's not for everybody. Like, don't everybody rush out and do it. Like, do it if that's what's really calling for you. If you want to learn more, I just released that documentary. It's free. Just um, go to drinkthejungle.com. That's the URL. Drink the Jungle. Check it out um, and get an idea if that's for you. But there's so many ways, and you don't need to do plants. You can do it with your fucking breath. You can do it with yoga. You can do it with floating. You can do it with legal weed. You know, there's so many ways to climb the mountain. Um, but finding those those ways to bring out the best part of yourself, essential. Drink the Jungle.
bitches. Mm. <laughs> don't be scared to drink the jungle. Drink don't the be jungle. Scared. Don't be scared to drink jungle the jungle. Jungle spicy when you drink All right. it. Let's end this right there. It's perfect. <laughs> Drinkthejungle.com. Yeah. That's it. Bye, everybody. Love you. Love you. Love all you guys. You fuckers, you. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh.